that the conformist worldviews, for instance, do not see, they don't have that inner cognitive dissonance that I'm ignoring science in the interest of listening to, I don't know, my pastor. A rational, an unhealthy version of a rational worldview is, well, I'm winning, so I'm fine. Okay, because winning is its own reward. But now healthy rational, very different. Okay. Healthy rational says, yeah, it's good to win, but it's also you can learn from losing. And by the way, healthy there's there's healthy conformative too. We don't we don't have enough healthy conformity in this country, in that we don't have a set of shared values that everybody goes, yeah. For instance, honesty. Mm. And we all agree that you should tell the truth, and if you don't, you shouldn't be trusted as much as people who do. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Dr. Keith Witt. As well as being a licensed psychologist, Dr. Witt is a teacher and author of eight books, including Loving Completely, Shadow Light, and Integral Mindfulness. His books, Waking Up and Sessions, were two of the first books on integrally informed psychotherapy. In presentations and classes around the world, Keith has explored love, therapy, interpersonal relationships and development from multiple perspectives, weaving neuroscience, integral theory, wisdom traditions, and numerous forms of psychotherapy into a coherent cosmology of love and healing. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. And now here is Paul discussing integral wisdom with Dr. Keith Witt. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, my guest is integral psychologist Keith Witt. He's been with me on this podcast before. He's somebody that I have a deep amount of respect for. He's got a lot of life experience. He is a highly skilled psychologist. He's been involved in Ken Wilber's movement for a very long time and is one of the key speakers and presenters in the Integral Life Membership Program, which I highly recommend for anyone that wants to understand Ken Wilber's teachings and live them more thoroughly. Today, we're going to talk about integral wisdom and the issues of today. So, Keith, welcome to Living 4D. Great to have you back. Paul, it's good to see you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking your time to spend some time with me. Um, as you can see from the outline, I've put together questions that I think are really on everybody's mind today. Yeah. So I'll start off with the first question here. I recently listened to the Dark Horse podcast with Brent Weinstein. He was interviewing Robert Malone. In the podcast, Robert Malone referred to a friend of his who has spent his career studying social behavior and social engineering, and he mentioned that his research and research of others has showed that 90% of the world population wants to be told what to do by a powerful authority figure, and that's exactly why and how fascist governments and tyrannical governments have been allowed throughout antiquity right up until now. I found this statistic very interesting because I've come across a couple of papers by psychologists in my research over the years, both of which suggested that 90% of the world population had only reached the psychological development of about a 12-year-old. I've also, I've also seen Ken Wilber's statistics on the different structure stages of consciousness, 
And I believe he shows that about 70% of the world is at the traditional level, which he was talking about actually when COVID kicked off. Um, with the issue of COVID and people's willingness to expose themselves to inoculations that are untested, unproven, and full of secret ingredients, um, which is dangerous because it doesn't allow the doctor or the patient to know what they're being injected with. And I think that it's been shocking to me through this last couple of years because people are willing to do more research on a new toaster oven car or telephone than they will be what they're getting stuck in their bodies. And with the massive, massive number of serious injuries and deaths that's gone on, it's, you know, the Nuremberg Code has not been <laughs> adhered to whatsoever. And then we have the whole Great Reset Agenda with Bill Gates, Schwab, Trudeau, George Soros, and that crew, um, which we'll talk more about as we go. So as a highly experienced integral psychologist, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how and why so much of the world population is still living out the child archetype, what the consequences are as these tyrannical agendas are attempting to be implemented, and hear your suggestions on how to wake the population up that's putting themselves and the rest of us at risk because they're the majority vote which in my opinion can be very dangerous. And I'll just preface by saying it's not my position or intention to make it, to make these people wrong. I, I believe they're the victim of a long, well thought out plan that's influenced our education system. It's part of religion. So I sort of see them like if I was out hunting with a bunch of my buddies and one of them accidentally stepped in a bear trap that he didn't see in it and he and he's in a lot of pain i wouldn't say well you're stupid dumb shit why'd you step in that i'd realize it was hidden to catch a bear and it caught him and i gotta help him out so it's more of a position of empathy but also deep concern because as you know the technology being used against people today is very advanced technology and most of them don't really know any better mm-hmm so I know that's a lot of wrapped up in, in one ball, but I think you get the picture. <laughs> I get the picture. You know, one thing that, that Ken Wilbur says is that if you step back far enough, it looks good. Evolution looks good. And I just want to start with that. You know, we're going through a dark time and everything that you said uh, is happening, in my opinion. Uh, and. I agree that the one thing I don't agree with, um, I think, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I think there's a lot of people with plans, but I think basically there's, there's deeper social forces driving us to authoritarianism, populism, fascism, and so on. Uh, uh, that people are, these, these are forces that are beyond individuals, some of them. Um, but I think within the context of those waves, there's just lots of, of evil fuckers. You know? <laughs> That's a good term for them. <laughs> you know? um, but if you step back long enough, evolution looks good. It looks like what's going to happen is there's going to be more disasters in the, in the next period of time, maybe 10 to 20 to 30 years. And then out of those disasters will, will come. Um, uh, an elevated um, level of social organization, probably similar somewhat to Scandinavian countries and social democracies, 
um, but with an added elements like the European Union, which is which is which is an interesting um, phenomenon and completely new to Europe. Okay, history of the last ten thousand years. There's never been a consolidation of separate countries that have the organizations that if you attack one of them, that everybody's going to mobilize to push back. Um, that's never happened before. That's true for the United States, which is a huge country, you know, a bunch of states. It's true for Europe, and so those are two two bastions that that that. Um, exist in a way that that other bastions haven't existed historically, um, and it's easy to mistake the corruption in them for them, right? Because all the institutions, every single institution has corruption in it, and the to me the the biggest problem for those of us that that want to look deeply into everything, and all these problems are wicked problems, meaning that there's multiple causes, they will need multiple solutions. Um, over time, um, acting in different forces, um, that if you if you look too deeply in it and and you see the corruption, you begin to identify all the institutions by their corruption, rather than by saying there really is a hierarchy of less corrupt to more corrupt institutions, and we don't want to become cynical. Cynicism um, uh, creates blind spots, and I don't want to be cyn- cyn- cynical. Um, Great example is the American healthcare system. Okay, C- corrupt uh, has basically an attitude from a from a large standpoint. It has basically an attitude of people are there to be harvested. Yes. Okay. So the healthcare system, basically, um, uh, from a financial standpoint, and the the the, the American culture, pharmaceutical company, big food, and so on, keeps people healthy enough to make money. But but sick enough that they have to keep doing healthcare, where they have to spend their money on the healthcare. Okay. Yeah. Now, within the context of that system, there are millions and millions of doctors and nurses and physicians assistants and people that really want to help people. Even in the insurance industry, which is another corrupt, extractive capitalism, you know, conspiracy to fuck us all over, essentially, particularly <laughs> healthcare. Yeah. Within the context of that, there's a lot of people that really want to help out and really want to help the, the other people. And so I want to I want to recognize there's some institutions that are less corrupt. And even in the corrupt institutions, there's a lot of people that are trying to do right. Um, and I and I don't want to become cynical. And I really encourage my clients and the people that I teach. Let's not be not be cynical. That being said, there's a lot of things that you mentioned that that essentially have pulled back the veil on a lot of systemic corruption in the United States that a lot of people hadn't seen before then. Um, the vaccine um, experiences is, is probably the most telling. Pharmaceutical companies colonized the regulatory agencies. Um, the regulatory agencies pretended that colonized the work uh, and the, the oligarchy essentially colonized um, the FDA. Uh, why you know you got you have these reactionary um, conservative people appointing people from the industry, and so the FDA with the pharmaceutical companies acting as an economic generator had this opportunity with the COVID virus to produce this vaccine, force everybody to have it, and they and they told 
everybody, this is what we need. This is a vaccine. This is like the smallpox vaccine, which of course it's not. Okay. No. And then it created this 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 huge social schism that that hadn't happened with progressives uh, to this point. Like I my my wife and I have not had the vaccine, and a lot of people have been super pissed off at us for not doing that. And they really don't want to have a conversation. My my son is a doctor in his third year of residency and was furious. I've never had him so pissed off at me when I told him, I don't feel like that's a, it's a safe substance. I don't want to inject it. And I have data. He said, well, sure, show me the data. I showed him the data and it was fascinating. I showed it to him and he's a smart guy. He didn't see it, Paul. Wow. Yeah. He, he it was in front of him. He read a lot of it, listened. Uh, Malone uh, was one guy. The other guy was that guy who testified before Congress. I forget the name, Doctor. He has a protocol for for COVID. Oh, um, um, Peter McCullough. McCullough, yeah. And I went, okay. Uh, now what we've seen is here's what happens when the regulatory agencies are colonized, uh, are allowed to colonize because we have a government that's been colonized. Uh, basically owned to a large extent, particularly the P Republican Party, owned by the oligarchy, less so in the Democratic Party, but still there. And so we, all this corruption has been revealed. Now, what it's done is it's made everybody anxious. It's made everybody feel separate. Um, it's made everybody go, what the fuck's going on? All that kind of stuff. Which brings us to this 90% thing. Um, uh, Integral is a, is, is a developmental understanding as well as a lot of other things. Integral is a, is a, is a meta theory. It's a way of holding all the other theories and looking at them from an evolutionary standpoint. Um, we have all the drives that has, have been in life since life began a couple billion years ago. And we have all the social drives that we had from when we were hunter gatherers. In those social drives, there's a lot of, there's a lot of drives to care for each other and share with each other and be fair with each other. But there's also drives to dominate and to submit. Also, when there's conflict, there's drives to amplify, particularly if you're, th if we're threatened, there's drives to amplify our reaction until somebody dominates and somebody submits or both people feel great. Okay. That process of both people feeling great, um, is as old as history. You, know, you, you see hunter-gatherer groups, they have processes for people coming together and creating less drama, creating solutions to problems. And, you think, and if you think about it, human behavior falls into a couple of categories. We're either solving problems or creating drama. <laughs> I think you're accurate there. <laughs> okay, so if you're a hunter-gatherer group, you're motivated to solve problems. You know, sitting around and causing more drama when you're in the middle of the desert and you can't find any water isn't a really good idea. No. People have to come up with a solution with, with, with problem solving. Um, and so they do. Now, unfortunately, this breaks down because of the evolutionary drive of kin selection. You know, there's natural selection, kin selection, and sexual selection. Kin selection is we believe that the people that we're related to deserve more rights and care than other, other groups. That's a visceral experience. Um, it's biochemical to a certain extent. You know, just like a mother can tell the smell of her baby minutes after it's born um, uh, with other, other babies, 
we know people that we're related to by blood and unconsciously want to give them an edge. If we grow beyond that and kind of gather groups went into other groups, um, uh, that, that, that particular drive gets subsumed in we want the people that believe what we believe to have more power, more rights, that kind of stuff. And that's the conformist level. So you go up from egocentric to conformist. If you're developing, if you're a little kid, you're three or four years old, what's moral is what I get away with. When you're six or seven, there's other rules that I want to follow because I want to be part of the group. That quote about nobody's gone beyond 12. Around 12, we begin to have the neural capacity for what's called formal operational thought. We can think about competing ideas and kind of balance them in our brain. We really can't do that before 10 or 11 years old. We don't have enough neural capacity. We're, we're concrete operational at that point. So we can think in black and white terms. That's why you can't take even brilliant eight-year-olds and say, I want you to take this side of the argument, and now I want you to take the other side. They just get confused. Twelve-year-olds right. can do that because their brains can shift back and forth. Now, unfortunately. Um, there's a developmental stage between conformity and rationality where we allow our, our minds to be changed by data. Um, Suzanne Cook-Gruder, who's a, a beautiful and, and adorable developmentalist, calls that 3.5 level. You know, four is rational, where we can receive data and change our mind. We have that capacity. Three, we're conformist. We, want, we just want to do what the conformist... Uh, we have all kinds of um, basic... Uh, um, uh, bias that we just don't want to look at. There's an in-between level where people believe they're rational. They believe that they're looking at data, but really what they do is they have incredible confirmation bias that's based on unconscious assumptions that they make and un unconscious affiliations that they have. Um, and they'll defend those when you push against them. Um, and so Somebody says, I, like my son, my son experiences himself. Uh, he doesn't experience himself just as rational. He believes he's in an integral level, which he is most of the time. But um, unfortunately, the medical training that he received said, if there's certain groups that say something, then, you, then that's the way it is. And your job as a doctor is to push that agenda. And they were taught to do that in medical school. It was a progressive medical school that taught him how to do that. And so when he saw that data, he couldn't, he couldn't process it to the, the extent that, wait a minute, these institutions that I've been told to trust, um, uh, FDA approvals, the, 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 the drug company sponsored trials. I mean, I mean, just as an aside, the pharmaceutical company colonized medical research 40 years ago and, and haven't let up. I mean, you can't. No, actually, 60% of a medical doctor's education is funded by pharmaceutical companies. Exactly. They, and so the extent that, that they have shaped the thinking. Yeah. Okay. They're shaping thinking. So at this 3.5 level, you run into this again and again and again. People will turn away from data. And that's why Mercola was, was, was blackballed. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. I mean, and so now, it, it, what it what it it leads us to be is first pissed off, okay, super pissed off about all this stuff, and then I do not want to get cynical about it. Okay, um, there's a lot of well-meaning people that tried to coerce me into getting the shot. Clients quitting working with me because they were so pissed. Oh, I had the same thing. Believe me, <laughs> I know. And so, 
it, it was amazing how religious it got. Oh, yeah. I, I even had people begging me and begging me to stop talking about being cautious and not getting vaccinated on my podcast because they thought that I was the cause of people going to die from the virus. And I'm like, wait a minute, statistically, it's no more dangerous than the flu. And I have another issue, two other issues. How is it that Bill Gates got a patent on coronavirus 19 three months before the pandemic? Wow, that guy. Geez, how did that happen? And why is there no contents listed on the vaccine, it's blank, and a long, long list of stuff like that. Even more, hey Paul, we got therapeutics that make that make COVID less dangerous than the flu. Okay, so and the and look, I'm not even talking about Paxlovid, even though Paxlovid makes it less dangerous than the flu. I, we got other therapeutics. I got them all in a room upstairs, by the way. I got my whole. COVID response thing in general. I'm keeping my, my vitamin D levels up over 55. So I'm not particularly worried. But, but that being said, I'm not hanging out with a lot of people. When you have therapeutics that make it less dangerous than the flu, and you're still pushing, giving this stuff to kids and six months old. I mean, you know, in Italy, the Supreme Court in Italy said it was illegal for the government. They said, if you have one death as a result of the vaccine, you cannot mandate the vaccine. That was the Supreme Court in Italy. And so now this is one of the things that that is encouraging. Um, it's encouraging to me that I'm inspired by Italy's Supreme Court. You know why? I'm a world century guy. When I see somebody that's a kindred spirit, I identify more with them than say with my Supreme Court that's about ready to make uh, abortion illegal in the United States. And, you know, this is where, where um, it's interesting to see the difference between operating at a, at a level where you really are open to what's happening in the present moment and coming from a place where you're coming from biases or social uh, coercion. Good example, I am really pleased with Mike Pence not doing what he, not turning out, doing what Trump told him to do. There is nothing else about Mike Pence that attracts me. I mean, Zero and lots that repel repel me, but I appreciate him doing that one thing. Okay, I assume he did it because he was frightened more than he was principled. But so what? He did a good thing. I appreciate it. But now there's another thing that that you were mentioning about the ninety percent. We have these we have these capacities, these human capacities that are revealed as culture develops new forms of connection and new forms of of stimulation. This is called the dialectic of progress. Robert Kagan called this. Whenever there's a new level of anything, communication, new level of technology, along with that new level will come new pathology. There will be new capacities for people to screw things up. I mean, you know, World War II is a good example. Um, there were a lot of world wars before World War II. Genghis Khan was a world war. Uh, uh, Alexander was a world war. But this was a world war with advanced technology that caused a lot more death and damage and so on. And so at the turn of the century, we got the telegraph, okay? And then we got the telephone and stuff. We got mass communication. Well, there's a guy, in, a Flemish guy named Matthias Desme, psychologist, who talked about mass formation psychosis. You've probably heard mm -hmm. this. Robert Malone is all over this right now, and, he, and I think he's corresponded uh, with uh, Matthias. I think he mentioned that name, actually. Yeah, yeah, well... 
I, you know, I, I'm a fan. I, I studied Matai. I was curious about this. I went, what, what's going on? And so according to his research, and this, this holds up with my experience, if, there's, if people are feeling alienated, if people are feeling separate, if they're feeling unease and frightened, if someone if then, if a strong leader gives them an explanation to their distress and an enemy they can organize around, they begin to feel connected. And what will happen is they will completely blank out on any, any problem that that leader has, any fallacy. This happened with Trump. Sounds like, it sounds like uh, Hitler's regime as well. Exactly. Uh, Hitler did it. Stalin did it. Um, Stalin, Stalin was way better at it than Hitler. Uh, Stalin kept power until he died. And what you do with this is that you get everybody organized against some group. Stalin went after the intellectuals. He went after, then he went after the Jews. And then he went after the Germans. When he, when he finally died, he was going after the Communist Party. And 50% of the Communist Party was either executed or put in prison. Because in mass formation psychosis, you get everybody together, they all feel good about each other, and then there's this enemy that they, uh, they attack in whatever level of attack that that cultural context allows them to do. So with Hitler, you could actually kill people. In the United States, you can disenfranchise people, you can take away their health care, um, you can ruin their careers, you can do a lot of that stuff. Can't really get away with executing people as a as a social policy in the United States, and and that's a good thing. That's a mark of progress. That the mass formation psychosis happens here, but even in the midst of that, there's there's some boundaries. That yeah, okay. I wish we'd made it further than that, though, Keith. <laughs> oh God. Okay, now this is the problem too. So, <laughs> when you when you be, begin to have a larger understanding. And you know my understanding shifts all the time, but but I I, I cross validate it at, with my own experience and with 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 scholars as you do, um, and with my my own um, uh, research, and you know I get I get pretty clear about certain kinds of things. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so the if you have that if you don't have a sense of humor, yeah, and if you don't, if you don't have patience. <laughs> then, then you it, th- then you really can't enjoy the day if you know what I mean. Okay. You no. Know, yeah. Yeah. There's a saying I teach all of my students: the pain is seldom where the actual problem is. For example, I've seen many cases of rotator cuff problems that wouldn't heal even after surgery. But what most doctors and therapists overlook is that the right shoulder is under influence from the liver and the left shoulder the stomach. Once we apply the principles of detoxification, support digestion, and clear parasites, presto, shoulders start healing and working beautifully again. If you learn to see people holistically, like I teach my students in Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 1, you begin to see the true source of our illnesses and injuries. HLC-1 teaches you many essential approaches to health and well-being, such as how to assess what key body systems are under too much stress and how to restore balance, the importance of identifying a realistic dream goal or objective that inspires each individual to stick to their healing program and make the short and long-term changes that are necessary, my universally applicable 1-2-3-4 formula for assessing and correcting challenges, how to breathe optimally to enhance energy levels and mental clarity, how to use gentle movements to work in and enhance life force energy and support optimal immune function. 
how the function and health of the soil that food is grown in influences all systems of the body, including our mental-emotional stability, and much more. HLC1 is just a small part of what we teach our Czech Academy students, our education system for elite trainers and health professionals. Gavin Jennings and I designed the Academy to take you from wherever you are right now, even if you have no fitness or health education, to being one of the best holistic health and performance professionals on this planet. And as a Czech Academy student, you'll be able to help a lot of people reach their health goals in ways you never imagined. There is, in my opinion, nothing more rewarding and meaningful in life than helping other people look, feel, and live better. We are now accepting applications into the Czech Academy, so whether you're wanting to change your career or add a truly effective new dimension to your current skill set, now is the time to apply. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash L number 4D Academy. That's checkinstitute.com forward slash L4D Academy. Let's make the world a better place together. Just to interject, I, I have a little code that I teach people. I, I've seen hard times myself. I've seen real hard times. I've been broke. I've been beaten. I've, I've been down dark alleys, but my philosophy is if I've, if I can breathe, I got access to water. I got access to food. I got a roof over my head. There's people that love me. It's not that bad. I, I still can, I can, I'm still in a position to be creative and figure things out. So I don't have to get too scared. So I tell people, as long as you can breathe, you got food, you got water, you got shelter, warmth, and you got people that love you. Don't get too nervous and make your life worse because you might be creating more of your own problem than it really is. And you stop yourself from thinking creatively. I completely agree with that. And I'll add something that people have. People have a superpower of human consciousness. Yeah. We have focused intent and focused intent and action in service of principle and driven by result. Focused intent, action, in service of principle, driven by result, is a superpower. We all have that superpower. That's why I'm writing a book on trauma and the sub, you know, trauma into transcendence. And the subtitle is Living a Happy Ending at the Beginning of Something Wonderful. Because if you, with human consciousness, if you mobilize your friends and yourself and your, and, and your desires, and your, your integrity, and you're willing to change, willing to receive influence, wherever you start and you begin, either you're going to die or you're going to be living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. Because that's the human superpower. Yeah. So is that what you wanted to share on that one? Or uh, I don't want to move <laughs> us on until you feel like you've shared what you wanted to share. Well, one thing about the mass formation psychosis, I don't want to underplay how dangerous a time this is. I mean, and how much suffering is happening. It's, it's just staggering. It, now, it's not like this hasn't been happening for forever with humans. No, it's been going on a long time, slowly and steadily. Yeah, Com Cambodia, uh, you know, the killing fields, the Hutu massacres. I mean, Bosnia. It's not like human beings do not have this capacity for mass formation psychosis and then genocide. Um, it, chimpanzees do it. Um, we have that capacity and we'll see it. We'll, we'll see it again in our lifetime. What we are seeing is that there are 
social constructs that are offended by that and will do something about it. Sometimes ineffectually, you know, so the United States was ineffectual in Somalia, but that was a that was a noble gesture on the United States. We did not want to see those people starve. And so they tried to do something about it. Uh, Bosnia actually uh, made a difference. Now, the other side, we could see, I don't know, Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Ukraine. I mean, and it's dangerous. Putin theoretically could destroy the world if he wanted. Now, would his military follow through if he told him to blow everything up? I don't know. But I do know one thing in the United States. At the United States military, as it's constructed now, would not allow a president to tell them to take over the country. They just wouldn't do it. I don't believe that they're capable of doing it. I think the United States military, weirdly, is the least corrupt institution in the government, um, it, which is a weird thing to say. Well, yeah, it might be true. Um I used to be, you know, as you know, an eight, I was a member of the 82nd Airborne Division, so I've had an inside look. But one of the st stats that I saw on Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s Children Health Defense newsletter recently, which was quite shocking, is since the beginning of COVID, there's been a 300% increase in suicides in the military, largely because soldiers don't want to take an experimental vaccine and they're just being tortured uh, because of it. And they're very smart. I know. Um, I don't know if I shared it with you, but a group of the Navy SEALs um, took the Navy and the government to court because they didn't want the vaccine. And I saw that. So I mean, there there is definitely inside forces. I saw a video by a, a, a naval surgeon, a woman, and she had to be very careful. But she warned. She said, "What whatever this is." Uh, this vaccine is taking out our pilots, is taking out all sorts of people, and it's coming from something beyond our government. She says, we don't know who the enemy is, but we have a serious problem. And I mean, for for an active duty naval surgeon to put a video out to the world like that, she put everything at risk. And so, I mean, there's, there's clearly uh, people in the military that are awake to the fact that there are forces beyond even their own ability to identify that are up to something here. Well, again, that's uh, because we have a compromised system that there's somebody in the, in the military that said, okay, if I'm told by the experts that, that, that our soldiers need to be protected from this, uh, let's do it. You know, you, you have to know a little bit about, vaccines to know the difference between the 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 mrna and say a smallpox shot or a dip or or, or and, and the the difference is huge but not everybody knows those differences not everybody's got that right yeah it's interesting too because you know you've got people like robert malone and you got uh peter mccullough and dr mercola and sherry tenpenny and Many others saying these are not even vaccines. They're they're something else. They're they're not they're not vaccines. And but the whole world's being you know propagandized into believing this stuff. And it's so yeah. It, you know the the thing that I do celebrate, and I think this could be a useful segue. 
you know, Lao Tzu said the government always reflects the people. And I think what's happening is our collective shadow is manifesting so we can see it. And I think it's, it's, you know, shadow work is hard work because you got to find the ugliness in yourself. You got to find your judgments in yourself. And I've spent a fair bit of time doing it myself. And, you know, it's, it takes a fair bit of brass balls to find a pedophile or a Hitler inside of yourself and some of these ugly things. But I think that we're, I think part of our evolution is that we're at the point now where we need to really do some collective shadow work. And this is inspiring us to do it. I just think that one of the real deficits we have is that the airways have been commandeered by crooked people and organizations that are bought out, but there's not enough of the elders. This is why I wanted to talk to you. We, we don't have enough people like yourself and Ken Wilbur and, you know, Eckhart Tolle and, wise people that can give us a more evolved perspective and help ground us and guide us into doing collective healing work. Because I think we are at a point, if we don't start taking our adult individual responsibility and the realization that humanity is an organism and we're each a cell in the organism and if you got cancer in yourself and you think it's the world's fault, then you're negating your own participation in the organism. And so I think we unfortunately have to figure out how to get more of the elders and the wise ones into the public sphere at this time. And of course, what are they doing? They're censoring the shit out of them, you know, which is a, a bummer, you know, but I don't really know anything other that I can do, but use my podcast and my own voice to do my best to guide people and to do take my responsibility to do my own healing work, which this thing's really forced me into, especially with all the you know trauma and battles in the family and and everything. And I've count countless families, and you know the number of my own students that have got a hold of me because family members ignored them and took the vaccine and have died has been through the roof. I mean, literally as as, as even today, I got a text message today that one of my longtime high level students, mother just died and and of a heart problem. And, you know, and and so like this is going on in such great numbers. I think one of the things that's going to happen is that enough people that are in this sort of camp that you described your son as being in are going to wake up to the fact that there's so many very seriously injured and dead people directly from these inoculations that they're going to wake up and get right fucking pissed off when they realize they've been hoodwinked. And I think that's when the real flip's going to start changing and people are going to start standing up for themselves and say enough of this horse shit. And we're going to have to start cleaning house with some of these organizations in the government. Well, and, and again, that would be an entry point to another, the, the wicked problem, which is the American healthcare system. Yeah. You know, we're, America is 68th in the world in health, and we spend three times more per person than any, anybody else. Yeah, it's a, it's a shocking statistic, especially for Americans who have always prided themselves in you know, quality of craftsmanship, pride of workmanship, you know, American dream, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how the country has imploded on itself. Well, there's also, 
there's other, other social forces at work. Remember, wicked problems have many, have a lot of forces. You know, one of them is, um, it, you know, in psychology, there's a thing called a personality disorder. Yes, I'm aware. All right. All right. So personality disorders essentially are, there's a bunch of different ways of people doing it, about, but about 15 to 19% of the population has a personality disorder. And a personality disorder is in certain situations, a person only has one thing they can do. Like if you're paranoid and you get stressed, you can only be suspicious. If you're, if you're compulsive and your personality disorder and you're stressed, you can only just try to control everything. If you're a narcissist and you're stressed, you can all you can do is just keep on pushing, getting your image and, and at the expense of yourself. You don't have other choices. You just have that. And, you know, it's weird with all the personality disorders. People don't realize this. But each one of those responses is a good response in some situation. It's an adaptive situation. Yeah. I mean, if, if I went to North Korea, I should be paranoid. I should be paranoid every single second that I'm in that country. Okay? That is, that is a, you know, yeah. I, I knew it all along. Okay? <laughs> so it's like that. but. Now, if if you take people, and, and these are all all of these 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 personality disorders, there's a certain tension. They're called the antagonistic in 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 the di diagnostic manual uh, the, because there's always this hostility that happens when you push against that one solution. All right, so now we have this mass media thing. Okay, so someone who's paranoid now can start a a a, um, a podcast, or they can do some kind of and and they can they can take whatever their idea is um, and QAnon that kind of stuff, and they can put it out, and it's exciting, and it's an, and talk about mass formation psychosis to people that are feeling isolated, people that are feeling suspicious, people that are feeling alone, people where the world doesn't make sense. They go, yeah, it makes sense. There's this group of people fucking you over, and you know, and it's them. And why don't you join with me hating them? You see this Fox News all the time. Why don't you join me in hating them? And everything that they do is bad. It's not like anything they do is good. It's like everything they do is bad. And essentially what we need to do is kill them. But in, the United <laughs> States, in the United States, we can't really kill them. You know, Hitler just killed them, you know, but not, not, and so did Stalin. We can't kill them, but we can't, we won't, we won't assume that anything that they're doing is good. There's not one thing that they're doing. They're doing it for a good reason, generous reason, altruistic reason, selfless reason. No. Everything they're doing, it, they're doing it because it's the way the Republicans are going after Liz Cheney. They're saying, you know, what's her angle? How's this going to get her elected? How's this going to get her more power? Oh, she must be doing it because she wants to have a higher profile. I don't think so. I think she's doing it because it's a matter of conscience for her. And she's doing it because she's being true to her, her values at some personal cost to her, okay? So a lot of people can do that. But if you're in that lockdown mode, that, that mass formation mode, you cannot assume that anybody has that, that, that pos a positive desire. They have to be all bad. And so you can have these groups forming around the most bizarre, QAnon is a bizarre idea, groups forming around, around these kinds of ideas. And on the outskirts, there's, we don't have to listen to anybody else, and we certainly don't have to look at the data. Um, yeah, I'm, that's dangerous. 
Uh, well, you know, so we see what happens. We get a Bolsonaro, you know, we get a Trump, we get these kinds of things. Now, that being said, um, there's a weird thing in the United States. The United States, fascists have tried to take over the United States a bazillion times in the last 250 years. And, and have temporarily been able to do it on different occasions. Um, I, I mean, just going back to the Civil War, uh, I mean, the slave states, they, they wanted to, to be able to continue to do slavery. Brazil, too. I mean, Brazil was the last country in the Western Hemisphere to stop slavery, but they eventually did. And this is why, from an integral standpoint, if you step back far enough, everything looks good. In the United States, we've never, ever gotten to full-on authoritarian fascism because we get to vote. Um, and I don't, I don't really think, no matter how much they gerrymander, no matter how much you know, this other stuff happens, I think eventually in the United States, if we have a fascist government or authoritarian government, they'll get voted out of office by somebody like Obama. Obama created it. Now, mass formation doesn't have to be psychosis. It can also be mass formation transformation. That's what Obama did. Obama got everybody buying into a dream of transformation. And so everybody was joined with love and were on a mission from God to have something good happen. The, the problem is that when af after he did one good thing, which was to put a little crack in the healthcare system, he eventually was, was blocked from doing anything else and was presented and vilified as being ineffectual. And so he went back to politics as usual. But there was that little brief moment where people were, were joined, inspired. Um, we have that capacity, too, as humans. And we were inspired in a, in a world-centric sense. And one thing about the millennials, the millennials is the first generation in the history of the world that identify more with other millennials than they do with their nation of origin. And so what we're seeing in this is we're seeing the evolution of consciousness happening with these little windows, just as we're having, we're seeing populism expand, mass formation psychosis expand, and people using these new, these new skills, techniques, just like the Nazis used the technologies of the 20th century while they were basically coming from a 19th century consciousness. And we're seeing very, very similar things. We're seeing um, political parties, um, uh, particularly the Republicans, but, but, but other political parties around the world, using sophisticated psychological tools and understandings to delude people and get people to um, either not vote or getting people to vote for them so that they can then exploit them as happens in the United States. We have an extractive capitalist system. But again, there's, there's some people that are doing generative capitalism in the United States. And eventually, generative capitalism will expand because it's both more profitable and uh, uh, more ecologically sound and, and um, just, just something that feels more beautiful, good, and true. What, would you define what generative capitalism is? I'm not familiar with that. Okay, sure. so let's let's just here's generative capitalism. Okay, let's talk about farms for just a moment. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, all right. So extractive capitalism is somebody at the top says, "I want to get as much money as I can, and I really don't care about how it affects anybody." Okay, so if I'm a big fooder, I'm gonna I'm gonna use lots of pesticides. And I'm I'm gonna use glyphosate, glyphosate and and I'm going to use artificial fertilizers. And I'm going to get as much corn and grain as I can, even though I can't sell it anymore. And because I'm going to make a lot of money. Okay. 
All right, and I'm I'm going to extract as much, and I'm not thinking about the consequences. Okay, so that's that's um, extractive capitalism. Capitalism, generative capitalism, entirely different. Um, there's different forms of capital that are they're important to you. There, you want to make money, but also you want to be good for the environment, and also you want the people that are working for you to get healthier rather than less healthy. Right. Okay. You want those three things to happen. And so the people who are doing regenerative farms, they find out that they can, instead of destroy soil, create soil using regenerative farming techniques. Instead of creating polluted and poisonous food, they're creating healthy and and nourishing food. And and enhancing the soil. That's what I do here at at our house. We have 14 acres and that's how we farm it. Not surprising. So you're making more soil, which by the way is a carbon sink. Yep. And not only that, they're making more money. People that, that, that farm organically doing regenerative farming make more money. Okay. So there's generative capitalism. You, you can do that with every single industry. You can now the thing about corporations, because they're not people, corporations are, you know, like entities that will expand and will do whatever it, it, it takes to, you know, get, have more profit unless they have some visionary at the top. They have to be regulated. And if you force them to, 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 instead of having attractive capitalism, to have generative capitalism, they'll do it. If we did that with the pharmaceutical companies, we forced them to only make, say, 30% profit. Okay, that's a huge amount of profit. You can make 30% profit, um, but everything else has to go into cheap drugs for everybody and real research, not bullshit research, which their research, of course, is bullshit research. Yeah. Where they don't have to show their data, all kinds of things. Okay, so in, in ten years, pharmaceutical companies would be saying, without any cognitive dissonance, "We're so great. We only make thirty percent profit, and we're helping the world, and we have the cheapest drugs in the world for our people here in the United States, and we're coming up with new things, and our research stuff is transparent, and everybody can see it. We're so proud of ourselves being so great." Okay. They would do that if they were forced to do that. And the, the people that need to force them are the government, but unfortunately, they own the government. Yes, they do. <laughs> and so, you know, Mitch McConnell, McConnell is probably the best employee that those guys have ever had. I mean, if you, if you want an employee of the, of the world, put Mitch McConnell's face on it because he's delivered. He has delivered <laughs> for everybody that owns him. And so, still, Every once in a while, somebody wakes up to this, and this is this is the waking up process. If enough people wake up, there's a lot of people in Congress that know everything I'm saying. There's a lot of people in the local government that know everything I'm saying. Um, and there's a lot of particularly local initiatives that are happening that are taking this kind of stuff into account. I'm seeing them in Santa Barbara. I'm seeing them all over the country, really. Little spots where people are doing the, the, the right thing, the wise thing, the thing that serves everybody. And so eventually those, in my opinion, those are going to grow and there'll be a transformation in this, this world where all of a sudden it'll be a sustainable system until, I don't know, the next comet hits. Okay? And maybe we won't even let the next comet hit. How long will that take? I don't know. But I have great confidence that'll happen. I don't believe that humans, humans can... I don't think the world can be turned into a big North Korea or a big Iran or a big Soviet Union. I don't think that's going to happen. 
Um, that's not what people want. People want individual rights and they want to care for each other. They prefer it. If you take a bunch of people and you put them together and you don't let one person dominate, they end up sharing and caring and being fair with each other. People prefer that. That's, those are drives that we have. I think, I don't know how you feel on this, but I think to continue to make sure that that possibility is in play, Americans must not give up their gun rights. Well, of course not. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I've got something great to share with you. I think you've all heard plenty in the news about zinc, but what you haven't heard about is Symbiotica's amazing new zinc complex, which is all organic and a unique formulation. And so because Sherveen's the expert and the formulator and the founder of Symbiotica, I brought him in to tell us about the zinc complex and when we know we should use it because of the symptoms we're having. So Sherveen, how do we know we need this complex? You know, zinc, I'm a mineral guy. Yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> it's Thank like, God. Yeah, hallelujah. I mean, minerals are the root foundation of thought, emotion, and we're actually being present in the physical body. Without minerals, nothing can happen. Vitamins can't operate. Functions in the body can't happen. Hormones can't be made. You know, minerals are everything. And zinc in particular is very unique. I mean, think about it. They dip steel in zinc to keep it from corroding and rusting. That's called yeah. galvanization, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just think about what it's doing in the body. Zinc acts as a super antioxidant in the body from top to bottom. Yeah. If you're deficient in zinc, most likely you have low libido, mm -hmm. low energy, depression. You're not motivated. You might have flaky skin. Mm. You're probably not sleeping well. You're probably not metabolizing well. Zinc is so profound in the human body that it crosses almost every barrier in the body. What do I mean by that? It's in your saliva. Yeah. It's in your snot. Mm -hmm. It's in your piss. Yeah. It's in your sweat. It's everywhere. And why is that? Because the our bodies are designed to operate with good zinc in the body. So mm -hmm. this formula is powerful. The results that we're having, the testimonials we're having, and just take it from me, this might be the most powerful formula we have at Symbiotica, and that's saying a lot. We have three forms of zinc in here. Two of them are trademarked. We also have two forms of copper in here. Copper and zinc might displace each other. That's why we have to have the perfect ratios in there. Uh -huh. And then we also have selenium in there, mm. which creates the trifecta of these three critical minerals that we're not getting in our foods. Most people aren't eating oysters every day. Mm. And sometimes you just want to be able to reach in your cabinet and grab one little capsule I highly recommend eating this with your largest meal of the day mm. because it's that strong until your body acclimates to it. I'm very, very happy about how this turned out and the results that it's having for both men and women. Excellent. You know, I know that uh, selenium deficiency is linked to uh, heart heart problems, holes in the hearts, heart valve dysfunction. Cancers. Yeah. Diabetes. Uh, New Zealand has a d deficiency of selenium in their soil and they were having a lot of problems with heart problems in the sheep there. Yep. And they tracked it to selenium deficiency. And I've also known of people that needed selenium to heal their heart. So what a great combination. So if you want to get your zinc complex, go to symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. And as a Living 4D listener, use the code CHECK15 on checkout and get 15% off your zinc complex and any of Symbiotica's amazing products. So enjoy and please take care of yourself. We all need to get our hands together and make the world a better place right now. So if your zinc complex and your Symbiotica products help us do that, then that's a worthy investment. Lots of love. 
Yeah, it's funny about guns. Um, my my older brother is he's a Trump guy, right? I don't know how many guns he has. I don't know, 14, 15. And he's good. You know, he's a great shot. He's, he was a judge, so he had to carry a gun around. People threaten him and stuff. Um, but, you know, if you talk to somebody like that and you go, well, Gary, how do you feel about um, background checks? Or how do you feel about not having um, assault magazines? Or how do you feel about um, uh, people having to um, register or even have trigger guards on? He goes, sure. I love that stuff. Talk to most law enforcement people. Sure. You know, I think everybody should have a right to have a gun, just like everybody should have a right to drive. But, you know, you need to have a driver's license. And you need Absolutely. To have, you need to have liability insurance. Okay. Yeah. Guns are somebody, dangerous. <laughs> yeah. If somebody wants to have a gun and not, and not keep it in a gun safe, I'm sorry. That's not okay with me because their kid might grab that and shoot somebody else's kid, you know? Um, or themselves. It's happened many times. Oh, you're five times more likely to be, be hurt by a gun in your house than, than somebody else, even if it's personal protection, unless you're somebody who's, who understands firearms and who treats them respectfully, which, we're, which is not insisted upon like it is with cars. We insist people have to drive competently, and if they're not driving competently, there's a consequence. And so I'd like to have that with guns. And... So yeah, so anybody can have a gun if they're anybody like anybody can get a driver's license if they're just willing to do the training, do the work, and behave in a responsible fashion. And if you're not, you don't get to, to have your gun. Yeah, and I'm 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 I, I totally I'm with you on all that. And and as you can imagine, I have a long background of using weapons and have blown shit up. And sure, man, I'm know. a martial artist. Yeah, so no, I never met a weapon I didn't like. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking of the fact that historically speaking, there's a long track record of people being told to give up their guns only to be enslaved and killed because they did it. And so I'm just saying as dangerous as guns are with the forces at play right now, I think it's wise for people to keep their guns, but be intelligent about it. So I agree with everything you've said. I just think that, I think when Biden starts telling people to give up their guns with his track record and his everything, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. And I think most Americans are smart enough to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, Biden doesn't want people to give up all their guns. You know, somebody might disagree with him about whether it's OK to have an AK-47. OK, I mean, you know, I'll go either way on that. You know, if, if Biden said nobody could have a gun, I go, no fucking way. But, you know, he's never going to say that. And I don't even no. think he believes it. I just, yeah. think that, I just think that, you know, there, there's a lot of scientists that have studied this, Paul. Um, and there's four or five things that have been found because they've experimented with these things that have reduced gun deaths and gun violence. Okay, so why don't we do those things? Absolutely. You know, background checks, um, red, the, the red line uh, laws, um, uh, uh, the, the limits on automatic weapons and on, on, on assault style uh, uh, magazines. Um, there was another one that was, that was, that was peculiar, but it, but it kept down. Just, just things that, that uh, registries. Um, basic, basic safety measures. Basic safety measures. So these things have been proved, not just in the United States, but elsewhere, to have reduced gun violence. Okay, fine. So people can have their guns, but let's do those, those things. Now, I'm somebody who really loves science. 
Okay, so I've seen the data on these on this research, and I find it persuasive. Uh, uh, not that in the nineteen seventies, seventy percent of Republican men said they believed in science. Uh, the last time that this was studied, about three or four years ago, it was thirty percent. Okay, okay, so the the credibility of data has come into uh, question. Partly because a lot of the data has been corrupted by the people who realized if we can generate the right data, then we can extract more money. Absolutely. That's one of the things that COVID's done is it's delivered a serious death blow to real science. And yes. I spoke to um, Irvin Laszlo. You know who Irvin Laszlo is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've read some yeah. of the stuff. Yeah. So I had him on the podcast and I said to him, you know, I said, I'm really concerned about how science is being used to promote a lot of the shit that's going on in the world that's really bullshit. And he said something very important I'll share with you. He said, Paul, that's not science. He said, what you've got to understand is that these people are technicians working for corporations that aren't scientists, but they're pawning off their work as science and people in the public don't know the difference, but no real scientist would ever do that because that's not science. And yeah, they're so, marketers. They're yes, they're, they're, it's they're marketing. marketing. It's yeah. bought and paid for marketing. A friend of mine's an FDA agent and he's busted many doctors for faking research that ends up in journals that are double blind studies and go through the peer review process. And you're talking major medical journals here. And they've never done the research. It's all fake. But he's busted many doctors for doing this and getting huge payoffs for doing it. And that, my point is that I think one of the reasons so few people are trusting science is because what's being pawned off as science isn't science and it's causing a lot of the problems in the world. So I, what, one of the things that's been shocking to me is that more scientists have not stood up to the, in the public and said, look, this is not science. And we need real science. And here's the difference when it comes to issues like what's going on with COVID and, and other related issues. But either they're getting repressed or they're just afraid to stand up. But I think that, you know, science has got its head right under a guillotine right now because the, so much of the public is now feeling manipulated by what's being called science. And as I tell people all the time, you realize every single drug that's been taken off the market for killing people was scientifically approved. Every food that turns out to be poisonous was scientifically validated. So we've really no, got to... Right. Okay, wait a minute. It might have been validated by marketers pretending... Well, yes, yes. But, but my point is pseudo-scientifically validated. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, this first... In the name of science. This first got to me in, in the 90s. Because I was taught that the antidepressant drugs were good for people. I, you know, I was shown studies. You know, I, I the journals said. And I began to see my clients weren't really doing well. They were basically getting addicted to these drugs and, and having problems with them mostly. And then I found out what, what the drug companies had done with these, particularly the antidepressants. There were 72 studies. 30 of them showed the drugs to be 5% better than a placebo with lots of side effects. And then they, they reverse engineered some of the other studies to, to, by manipulating the data and didn't tell anybody what they were doing and put billions of dollars into promoting these drugs and promoting this whole uh, biochemical imbalance theory of, of depression and anxiety, which has never been su supported. 
And I was pissed off because I had told a bunch of people that they should go, you know, they were really depressed. They wanted to try something. And I, I told them to go try these drugs. And because my consciousness had been manipulated because I had naively believed this stuff, um, I had given bad advice to people and it really pissed me off. I bet. And after that, I went, okay, you know, I want to, I want to see, I want to see the data analysis. I want to see the data. And if I don't see the data analysis, if I don't know the researcher and trust the researcher, then and sorry. the and the money trail. Uh, and the money trail. And so it completely turned me around about that. And, the, and I began to find it elsewhere, just as we've all that, that's why we have that 68 health outcomes and so much more money. Um there, there's a lot of things about that. Now, that being said, a lot of scientists have stood up, but really it's they're not really listened to. You know, climate scientists have been doing this forever. You know, yes, they have. A thousand climate scientists say that global you know, human cause got it, you know, ho hum. The the American Psychiatric Association, God bless them, uh, or the New England Journal of Medicine wrote a, an op-ed saying we were all completely hoaxed by the drug companies on the antidepressant medications and probably on some other medication. No real consequences. Um, and so there's a, there's a there's a lack of cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance is when i have two competing ideas and i have to figure it out and it bothers me if you're at a conformist level of development moment and about 70% of the population is conformist let me tell you what conformist conformist is i have beliefs with my group and i'm going to share those beliefs and i'm not going to give up those beliefs even if you give me data to the contrary it was like this farmer in Washington who's was, who's being wrecked because of Trump's stupid tariffs. And he said, and the guy says, Yeah, the tariffs are stupid. Yeah, I'm being wrecked. He said, but that's not enough to get me to vote Democratic. Okay. And so basically he's saying, I'm gonna stick with my group, and if he's the Republican nominee, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for him because I'm never gonna so so that's not looking at the data. That's just so there's there's not a capacity for cognitive dissonance in that worldview. In other words, it does not bother him that he's voting for the person who's ruining his business. It doesn't bother him. Yeah. It reminds me of Jung's concept of holding the tension of the opposites. It, it, right. you, you know, in alchemy, they, they say, don't, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my own words to my studies of alchemy and practice of alchemy, but they say, it's important not to drug things. You need to spend time cooking in it till you get to the real issue. Yeah. But our culture is so quick to medicate everything psychologically, physically. They don't want to hold the tension of the opposites because, you know, you, you have to have the discomfort of letting it play out to get enough a sense of assurance or clarification of the data or, or get your suspicions addressed. It takes some work. Uh, people are quite lazy, I've found. They don't, you know, to like I've spent my whole life doing research and I've got a very comprehensive library. Copy, uh, very few people in the world have a library like I do. And I've spent years and years and years looking into things and studying both sides of it. You know, for example, my wife has said to me on a number of occasions, she's walked in and I'm studying, you know, I'm listening to lectures by dogmatic Orthodox Christian preachers, and she just drives her crazy. She says, "Why the?" She goes, "Why the freaking hell do you listen to that shit?" And I say, "Honey, 
I'm a therapist and I have to study the disease or I'll never know how to help it heal. You know, so I, I look at all of this stuff and it takes a lot of effort. I've had to spend sometimes years to get to the bottom of things. So I feel confident in my approach to how to help people through the landmines. And I've sat through my own inner tensions with all the things I'm sure you have too. And my, my point is, you know, it takes time to, to do the cooking of an alchemist and to, to hold the tension of the opposites and wait until you get to a point where you can transcend it and, you know, sublimate and say, okay, let me have a bird's eye view because I'm down too close. I got my face too close to the screen. And there's again, a lack of wise elders to teach people how to do this, you know? Well, this, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, uh, the first part I want to point out is as you talk, you and me are part of what makes me hopeful because there are millions of people in this country, therapists, coaches, consultants, the people who go, well, look, I'm bummed out. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I can't get along with my wife. I can't have the sex I want, you know, whatever. I'm going to go get somebody to help. People call me up all the time. I, you know, I work. Monday through Thursday, helping people done up close to 70,000 sessions in my career. So every time you do that, basically, you're coming to someone who's saying, I want to help you grow and wake up. I want to help you. I want to help you find the, the destructive parts of you and the constructive parts of you and blend them together. I want to help you have a, a, an observing ego, a witness, a, you know, a wise, a wise self that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. All of us are doing that work, no matter what form it takes, no matter what our designation, we're all doing that work. And that's literally raising the psychological awareness of the culture to a certain extent. Um, now, there's a lot of suffering. The 15 to 25-year-old generation right now is the least happy 15 to 25-year-old generation that we've ever measured since we started measuring this stuff. So there's a lot of, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lack of spiritual connectedness. There's a lack of, of rites of passage from the, from, into adulthood, particularly for the masculine. Um, but that aching causes people to go to people like you and me. And so when we help initiate people into the next level, there's some other stuff that gets by, like, for instance, pay attention to real science and don't pay attention to bullshit science. You know, I'm not shy about saying that to anybody, whether it's a conservative person or not. And that force of, of, of wanting clarity and wanting personal transformation, that's the counteracting force to, to all this populism and mass formation psychosis that wants to keep people compliant and asleep. Yes, unconscious. And the unconscious. And so that in that tension where, you know, you and I live in that tension professionally, in, in that tension, there's a generative force, okay, that, that is driving evolution. And that's why I'm very optimistic in the long run. In the, in the short run, it breaks my heart every day to see all the unnecessary suffering everywhere. Yes, it is hard. And, and um, you know, I, I deal with it. I have a lot of students in that age group and, you know, they share their pains, their fears. and I do my best to work them through it, but I remember I, I remind them of a saying that has a lot of 
depth to it. It's simple, but it's true. How do you make a diamond? Pressure, pressure, pressure. That's right. And I say, look, you know, I, I couldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have lived through and worked through a hell of a lot of pain and challenges and confusion. But, you know, the, the one thing that I have learned in my career as a therapist and a coach is that there's nothing more important than a dream that's worth getting out of bed and changing for, growing for, and seeking. Because if you, as the psychologist Jerry West beautifully says, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. That's right. That's, and that's I, I, well I think, I think a lot of people, they've lost their awareness that they do have the ability to create what they want and that there is ways to do it. And I, I think that goes right to the hero's journey. I mean, that's what wow. the hero's journey is. And I think people are just, unaware that the hero's journey is an archetypal reality that underlies the existence of the human psyche. And if you don't realize it, then one of the most dangerous things you can do is go to a doctor and get drugs instead of finding a mentor like you or I, because when you're facing a crisis, that's when the hero emerges. But if the hero just starts taking drugs, then we've lost the whole journey. Now it's, you know, you, you you just shut the whole movie off right in the middle and you never find the plot. You just give up on it, you know? That is 100% right. You know, there's a Chinese, and, and, and also the end of the hero's journey is always service, always. So there's this Chinese proverb. If you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. If you want to be happy for a month, get married. If you want to be happy for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want to be happy for a lifetime, serve others. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love and, it. And so part of what we all need to, to discover is what's the service that we're moved to, 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 to give to the collective? Because if we're not doing it, we'll suffer. And when you find that and commit to it, and that's always what the hero discovers at the very end. There is some gift that they got that they need to share. And if they don't share it, they suffer. And, 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 and that's why Joseph Campbell says the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you need the most. And so right. get your torch and get in there, baby. You know, it's, uh, you know, you, you brought up a, a, a memory and an experience. You know, the, the Chinese also have this practice where when a person reaches puberty, they, they, you know, they're beginning to be an adult. I don't know if you know about this. I'll take a, a plate. They'll put it in a bag or a pillowcase and the, and the child is told to throw it up in the air. And when it hits the ground and shatters, then they have to take it out and glue it all back together and oh, fit it together. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so recently I was working with a 26 or seven year old that does some work here on the farm. He's a lovely soul, but he's been through some trauma and he's, and he's doing his own healing work. And he's one of my students and I love the guy, but. You know, I was working with him and I said to him, I want you to do this practice because you need to know now that we all get traumatized and that we all have troubles at troubles. And so I, I want you to understand the metaphor of life. So I told him he got the plate. <laughs> he did it. It smashed into a lot of pieces. He put it together. And I said to him, 
not only do I want you to put it together, but because you are artistic like I am, I want you to make something beautiful out of it. So he comes back to me a couple of weeks later and he, and he has a bus. He bought a, um, a retired school bus and he turned it into sort of like his own little mobile home. And so he comes and stays here and works for us for, you know, sometimes a week or two at a time and he sleeps in his bus and we feed him and he's a great guy. But he comes to me, Paul, he says, one day he says, I got to show you something. And on the back of his bus, he mounted his plate. So whenever someone's parked behind him, they look at his bus, they see this plate with all the cracks in it and he painted it. And I like, I was so proud of him. Like, yes, that's just awesome. <laughs> oh man, that's great. What a gift to him. Well done. That was yeah. well done. You provided you provided an initiative. Basically, we learn we discover ourselves through ordeals, and you've had a million of them in your life. I've had a bunch of them in my life. You meet the ordeal, it kicks your ass, but you you reach through it and you discover yourself through it. You just something in you that takes you to now. This is the difference between uh, trauma learning and resilience learning. Trauma learning is you do not, you, you can't finish to, to a sense of, of, of completion or triumph. And you end up being, it takes less of a stimulus to make you more messed up. Okay, that's, that's being sensitized. And, you know, people that get traumatized have that problem. And some people with certain personalities are easily traumatized. Resilience is the exact opposite. As you meet the ordeals, as you, you discover yourself um, uh, receiving the aid, uh, doing the work, creating the beauty, um, then it becomes, there, it requires less, to, it requires more and more distress to have a response. More and more you have equanimity as you're moving through life, which is, life is all about problems. I mean, remember... <laughs> Yes. Solving problems or creating drama. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to create drama. I want to no. solve problems. Yeah. It's it's really as simple as that to a certain extent. And some people just keep on creating drama. And some people go, hey, let's solve problems. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of one of Steiner's teachings on because you know he's the founder of biodynamic farming, and I've studied his biodynamic writings. And um he talks about the moonlight and he says, you know, what people don't realize is that full, the full moon is very stressful for plants because it's not only is it sunlight, it's sunlight reversed. So it's like coming, it's coming off a mirror, but he says the, the plants need that stress to grow. It actually has a growth stimulus on them. If it was going on for too long, it would kill them. Just like if we never had winter, everything would turn into a desert. But he's making the point that that nature is full of growth stressors that actually trigger growth. And I think, you know, we all need to be aware that we're part of a living system that's designed to ultimately for us all to grow. Everything's in a growth process. And I think if we realize that our personal challenges, our family challenges, our social, our cultural, and our collective challenges are really growth stimulus and we engage it, I, I, what I tell people is, look, we, we are, we're at a time in the world where we've got to really get together and say, what do we want to create together? That's right. Instead of saying, you're a different color than me, you're a different religion than me. I say, if there's one thing we need to create together, we got to understand, let's just say we're all in the game of life. And the game board requires healthy soil, healthy water, healthy food, and fresh air. 
and we're, we need to protect those things together because I don't care what your religion is. When any of those are gone, we're all dead. So we might as well organize around what we got to do to keep playing all the games together. (laughs) And then we have something in common. And, and that there's a huge difference between collaboratively finding ways forward and coercing each other. Now, coercion is required in certain situations, like regulation of, of, uh, co- out of, out of control corporations. You know, so you, there, there's some solution. You know, Putin is not going to stop, um, Ukraine until he's coerced into not stopping Ukraine. But coercion is only required in certain situations. Um, collaboration is, is slower. It's more frustrating. Um, uh, um, compromise is irritating. Um, but there's an interesting statistic around mediators in this country. Um, the, someone did a study. Now, a lot of conflicts, people don't want to spend billions of dollars on uh, lawyers and go to court and all that other stuff. So they hire mediators to come with conflicts. And so someone said, well, I wonder how those people feel after their their conflict is, gets mediated. You know, they feel pissed off that they had to compromise. And interestingly, 70% of the time, the people that had a mediated conflict said, I feel fine about how, how we did it. I think it was fair. I think we, we found a shared solution. And it was better. Okay. It's fascinating to me that, that when, when you're in an environment where you're forced, say, by legal costs, to, to try to find a way through with another person, and they're motivated in the same way, usually human beings can stop creating drama and start solving problems and find a way through. And then on the other side, you're different. You don't feel as bad about that person you're in conflict with. Mm-hmm. That consciousness has changed a little bit. And this is about the hero's journey. The hero's journey is very much about understanding how the narratives of our life change as we grow. And if we keep trying to do right, to be true to our values, they'll change in a positive way. We'll experience ourselves more as heroic and less as compromised. But once we compromise a principle for profit or for fear and so on, um, we feel diminished and we're more likely, and we're more likely to do that again. And we're more likely to develop symptoms of inflammation and of, of addiction and of all yeah. these other things. And those forces below the surface are what's causing both the pathology in this country and around the world, but also those forces, if addressed um, better and better and better, have all the solutions to the problem. Yes. Hi, everybody. This is Paul Check. I come to give you a little message. I want to share some empathy. I know how hard it is to change your behavior when you got some bad diet and lifestyle habits and you look at that coffee or you look at the sugar or you look at the junk food that you're in love with and you reach for it because it's quick and easy and you keep telling yourself, I need to change, I need to change, I need to change. But eventually the system breaks down and you get motivated by the pain teacher. But what if I gave you an opportunity to try something that would help you start the process of behavior change and enjoy it and look forward to it? Well, I have something for you. It's Organifi's Red Juice. It tastes great and it's loaded with nutrition and lots of vitality for you. And I got Drew Canoli here to tell us why it works so well for behavior change and 
increasing your life force and your vitality. Drew, what's some, what's the magic in that red juice? Because everybody seems to love it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. Sometimes when we're craving things, mm. it's hard to switch a, a habit, yeah. a behavior. Yeah. So I looked at that fundamental fact and I'm like, well, what could we create that people could crave mm. that actually tasted great? Mm-hmm. And that's when red juice was born for Good. energy. So between the berries, the blueberries, the raspberries, mm. the strawberries, yes. the best quality organic glyphosate residue free, yes. the rhodiola and the cordyceps, yes. we were onto something. We sweetened Definitely. it with a dash of monk fruit. Mm. And literally I started to come to life when I drank this. I had yeah. so much more energy than I would mm-hmm. normally have. Stamina went through the roof. Yeah, I actually shaved off 45 seconds off my mild time drinking red juice before I ran. Wow. Talk about an uptick in nitric oxide production in your body, right? <laughs> Something went up. Yeah. <laughs> we know speed Actually, <laughs> it's funny you say that because I get messages all the time about sexy time. Oh, and yeah? People drink red juice. Something's like, going up. Something's going up. And I get so many messages about that. That's funny you brought that up. Well, we hope it's the flag these days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you're looking for more energy and stamina and something that tastes great to where you could shift your cravings, keeping your hunger and your energy in check. And feel good about it. And feel good about it. And you might even break down a little bit and wander back. But if you've got some natural sweetness and a lot of nutrition, you probably, if you're honest with yourself, won't need as many chips or as many mm-hmm. of whatever your little thing is, yeah. but you can do this naturally and easily. And that's what I'm all about, naturally and easily and honestly. And you know, it all starts with being honest with yourself. So if you want a great tasting behavioral switch technique that's really good for you, it has a lot of knock-on benefits for you and your whole family. Try Red Juice. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And because I love you Living 4D listeners so much, I've organized for you to get a 20% discount with the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. And that's as fast as I can say that. I love you guys. Enjoy your Red Juice. I like the idea of mediation. I've used mediators before and I... I think too when you when you use mediation you're actually making a commitment to participating in finding a fair outcome that you're involved in whereas if you turn it over to lawyers and throw a lot of money at it it's usually we just want to make that problem go away whether it, it's legal or not just get rid of the fucker that's you right know? so then 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 you have to, the people that do that for negative reasons that now they're, you know, as you know, they're pushing that down into the shadows. So it just pops out sideways another way. And unfortunately, most people don't have enough depth of understanding of the psyche to realize what they're doing to themselves. But, uh, you know, I just, just before we move forward, I wanted to drop back any thoughts on the, on the collective shadow and, and maybe suggestions in that regard, because I, I really feel that we're one of the blessings of the whole COVID and everything we're going through right now is it's really bringing the shadow to the surface. And we're seeing, you know, I'll give you a good example. I was talking to my mom at the beginning of COVID, my mother, who raised me as a holistic yogi, constructive thinker, um, is, you know, giving me a ration of shit about my views. And I'm like saying, mom, have you looked into Bill Gates? And she's like, oh, he's, he's amazing. He's a philanthropist. She, I said, mom, are you kidding me? I mean, like, are you, I, so I said, would you look at this? No, I'm not interested, whatever. But the point is 
So the, the people that are like that, that are in the position to do the things that are happening, which we're going to talk more about, they are being pushed up by the people that aren't paying attention to what's really going on. Right. And, and so the point that I'm driving at here is that a Bill Gates, a Fauci, a Soros, etc., they're really like a pimple. They're, they're, they're the, the blemish that's come to surface because the detoxification system is overloaded and the cells of that metaphorical system are the human beings pushing them to the surface. So once we realize that this blemish is a collective toxicity, We've got to start getting together and cleaning up the mess. I'm just curious if you have any suggestions or thoughts on how we can start doing shadow work together to help identify that we are actually, many of us are responsible for, very, for the very things that we're so scared of and against right now. You know, uh, I wrote a book called Shadow Light. Um, I have it, actually. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, and the... The, on an individual level, the way that shadow works, shadow is our whole unconscious. It gives us constructive and destructive data constantly that we, our conscious self, um, chooses. And we can go with the destructive stuff, that's destructive shadow. And we can go with the constructive stuff, that's constructive shadow. And if we can develop a capacity to understand all the images and feelings and impulses and ideas and stories that are always coming up, out of our unconscious and say, oh, that's constructive, that's destructive. I go with the constructive. I want to dialysize the destructive and turn it into constructive. On, a, on an individual level, that basically is what um, marks development, growth, waking up, um, growing up. Um, and as you do that, you change. Yes. Uh, your unconscious, the, the way that we know that we change is our unconscious changes. What I mean by that is if there's a situation where someone is, you know, weird and I'm, I'm dismissive of them automatically. And then two years later, they're weird and I go, oh, I get concerned. I, I have compassion for them. My unconscious has changed from dismissive to compassion. I've, yeah. grown, in, I've grown in that area and that's how I know. Okay. Yes. And our, our, un our unconscious growth is always behind our conscious. Awareness, because yeah. awareness can, can, can change fast. All right, so that's on the individual level. On the interpersonal level, like with couples, let's just start with relationships. Um, you enter into a, a destructive shadow interaction where your defense and my defense are engaged, and we're just creating drama. We're not solving problems. Yeah. And, and so... With couples, it's just like what all mediators say. The hardest part is getting each person to understand the other person from the inside, empathic attunement. You know, once, once I can get a couple to understand, I can see how you can feel that way. I can see how you can feel that way. The next step is, is generally pretty easy. Same way with mediators, okay? Um, people resist that, okay? People resist that on an individual level, so you put a lot of energy on I understand why how you could think that. I understand how you could think that. Okay, now we got now we deal with it on the larger level. The larger level is is how do we help people wake up? Uh, uh, right now, um, there are psychopaths in 
Congress. And, and there are really good people. I give money to Warnick. I like that guy. I like that senator. He's a pastor. He's a principled guy. He might not get reelected. I don't care. I give him money every month because I see him as a good man trying to do right. And there's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a psychopath. Okay. She's antisocial personality disorder, I, I would say. Um, her instincts is create drama, 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 self aggrandizement, crap aggrandizes, you extract, extract. Um, how do I help people wake up to making that discernment? Here's a good person trying to do right, whether they agree with you or not. Liz Cheney's trying to do right. I disagree with her politics, right and left, okay? But, you know, she's trying to be a principled person. I admire people trying to. So on an individual level, you just do what we do. On a collective level, there haven't been institutions that focus in on, on an agreed-upon definition of truth and a basic function of truth. For instance, say somebody, I don't know, some ultra-wealthy person, say, you know, Ray Dalio, you know, wrote that recent book about history gave two or three billion dollars to a, an independent organization that all they did was fact check. And everything was transparent. Mm -hmm. That's all they did. They're fact checkers. And it would have to be billions because yeah. there's so much stuff. Yeah. They, they fact check commercials. They fact check politicians. They fact check pharmaceuticals. They fact check everything. And... And then they put out a constant stream of, you want something? It's like consumer reports. God, I love consumer reports. Me too. Yeah, fact checkers. Okay. And so they would, first of all, they have, there would have to be an institution that just did that. Second of all, it would have to get popular. Popular. What's popular? What's, what's, what catches the imagination? It's very, very difficult because conflict, um, um, evil, you know, malicious stuff, you know, all that stuff. That's, you know, do all the, all the drama on TV. There's always this, 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 you know, as, as that, that captures our imaginations, you know, like novels more than somebody saying, Hey, this is what the facts are. You know, this is what, this is what we imagined would be a step forward. We don't know. We'd have to try it out. Um, it's less popular, less less absorbing, less exciting. So somehow that interest in something that really is, is true through all four quadrants, you know, it feels right. You know, the individual science, the collective science works between, you know, the, the inner person, the inner subjective sense of it is these are people being, being kind with each other, being, being, being real with each other. Somehow that would have to be, like religion used to be, okay? And and the whole thing about 12 years old, look, human beings weren't older than six for, you know, hundreds of thousands, seven or seven. You know, so 12 is a real step up over the last 10,000 years, okay? <laughs> I guess if you look at it that way, yeah. <laughs> so we want to, you know, I want everybody to go to around 18 or 19. Now, this is... This is apropos of nothing other than it's it's interesting about one of your questions, your later questions about about men and boys. We have a, a hunger in us to have what Lisa Miller, the researcher, calls an awakened brain, where we feel connected to the infinite and we feel loved, held, guided, and never alone. 
And there are four brain areas that act synchronistically when we're in that state. And we have a desire as humans for that state, but our desire to be in that state doubles in the ages of 17 to 22. Is that right? That's very interesting. The, 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 the yearning for it doubles. It's, so, you know, you work, with, you work with kids that age. I work with them that kids that age. So what I do with them is I teach them practices where they, they light up those areas. And I go, so do you feel loved? Yeah. Do you feel held? Yeah. Do you feel guided? Yeah, I do. Do you feel not alone? I go, yeah. Okay, so, so that's your center, right? That's resonating with your wise self. That's resonating with that origin point that started when you were, when you were conceived. So if, if you run everything by that, good things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And she was so persuasive. There's, her book's called The Awakened Brain. She took this to the army. And the head of the army said, our kids are, the, the kids that come in these days are so fragile. And they're, 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 they're so easily distressed and easily discouraged. They just don't have a, a spiritual core. And so they... They got her to train 3 million people in the army with her techniques about getting, having the awakened brain, having that experience of being dialed into something larger than themselves. I found that that, that made me really feel good about Lisa Miller and feel good about um, the army, that they were doing that. They call it spiritual readiness uh, um, initiative. And we need that. And we don't have it adequately for our kids and they suffer from it and so what do they do they they might get drunk and go to a concert and they have an experience of being larger being connected not being alone being guided and stuff the next day they're all hung over they go well well you know i just drank too much they didn't realize that the, there was something else that happened there that that is not just about the concert not just about maroon five or bruce Springsteen. thing it's about it's about another yearning that i have that I need to be informing me around everything, around how I parent, around how I uh, am with my wife, about how I am in the world, about how I do my work. Um, that it needs to be congruent with that place. Yes. I think that's a beautiful concept that's very seldom talked about in areas where most people are going to find it. I, I really don't think people have a sense or even a connection to the concept of one center. Mm-hmm. I think that we're, I, I, I use a term that I developed to help my students that I'm training to be life coaches to understand. I say most people suffer from what I call externalization of the self, which means I identify myself by the car I have, the, whether the, I've got the coolest phone how many people like me on Facebook, what status I have. It's all external. It's, it's like bodybuilders that live in the mirror, but lose their sense of self in the mirror. Um, so I, I really feel that <clears throat> what you've just shared is important because we need more of an awareness of the self. And I've, I've done a lot of writing on that in my book. Good. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think part of it goes back to Jung's and Edward Edinger's writings on what happens when we, if we get injured by our family or we get disconnected from the larger self, which is 
in the in that concept everything that supports us from the family to the trees to the soil so the, the the world is really our bigger self and our family is our bigger self so we have a lot of bigger self but but we also have to be aware that the little self is centered within the bigger self and if you lose yourself outward into the bigger self and you're not feeling supported then you actually don't have a point of reference within yourself, which is really important because without that point of reference within yourself, you don't really realize who's making the choices that are creating the circumstances of your life. Exactly. So, then, right. so you end up falling into the victim archetype very quickly. And destructive shadow. Yes. Destructive yes. shadow is running your life and you're and you're you're trying to avoid awareness that destructive shadow is running your life. And so you just pedal harder, you drink more, you, you, you look more on your image, you do all that kind of... Now, it's, it's a weird thing to be alive today. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's a weird thing. And one of the weird things about it is there's a lot of room to be an individual in this culture. And, you know, there really is. I mean, America is hyper-autonomous to the point of, of two hyper-autonomous, but still. There's a lot of room to be an individual. Um, that being said, um, it's very, very, very difficult um, to engage in a developmental process in a culture where as you discover who you are, you really aren't that cultural ideal. Um, this is the, the Catholic concept of original sin. Um, we're all born with various traits. Um, most temperamental traits are 40 to 60% heritable. Okay? Most of the personality disorders are like 60 or 70% heritable. I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of our personality that is in place when we're born. And, you know, say we, we have um, uh, a tendency to um, uh, uh, to um, compete. We want to compete, but but we're in say we're raised by pluralistic parents who go no we don't like competition we like cooperation. Okay, so you get subtle disapproval from them, and you go well, God I like to compete. They go yeah competition kind of sucks. So either you have to defy them, or challenge them to transform as parents, which is the hard ideal. Hard to do. Yeah. Hard to do, but the ideal, or Go, okay, um, this part of me, um, I don't think I'm going to, to I either judge it and go, well, I, I have this original sin of wanting to be competitive, or I have to accept this is who I am, and what's the healthiest version of this? And we're all so different. That idea of discovering who I am with my own strengths and weaknesses, which is what you were talking about earlier in terms of self-awareness, and I want to be the healthiest version of all of them. Um, it's very, very, very difficult. Uh, you can't teach it to, you can do steps with this with children, but they can't really understand what I just said until they're at least 13, 14, 15. And, and even then, they'd have to be interested. Um, and because we don't have, we don't have um, uh, the same structures around, around guiding us, we, we want... Deeper guidance. We want deeper sense of meaning. We want deeper sense of purpose. 
it makes the developmental process more challenging and more difficult. Some countries do it better than others. Um, uh, Northern Europe is pretty good. Uh, uh, but still, it's very, very difficult. And it's especially hard if you have some trait that's a, that's a, that's a liability type trait. Like, you know, if you're born really emotionally reactive, that's a liability. In this culture, if you're born introverted, extroverted people have more advantages in this culture. Um, if you're born shy, mm -hmm. these are all characteristics. So I have to accept I'm, I'm shy or I'm introverted or I'm whatever. And now what's the healthiest version of that? And that, that's, and that as I commit to that, recognizing that as I do that, everything else is going to be better. I'll have better relationships. I'll have a healthier body. I'll be more attractive. I'll be all those things. Um, it's hard to have faith in that. Um, there really aren't the models for that. There isn't the zeitgeist. Yeah. I think, again, that goes back to the breakdown of our our elders, but, you know, that goes back to to tribal ideas. And I, you know, part of the problem with COVID is that it's it's demolishing the family structure in many ways because of all the infighting and isolation, which makes everything you're saying even worse, unfortunately. That's right. But I think, you know, I, I think pressure always finds a way out. Look, you know, you put enough water in the earth and it finds its way to the surface. We call it an artesian well. And interestingly enough, when it comes to the surface, it's the best water there is to drink and animals walk miles to find it. Mm. And I think if every one of us that has the awareness of what you're talking about just keeps working and even developing systems or online education or whatever we can do, uh, I, I, I think that's the best we can do. But I think that the fact that people like you and I are aware of these things means that the healing urge is coming to the surface or we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's right. We're feeling we're we are basically the eyes and ears and voices of that evolutionary push. Here's a good example. We know now what creates better kids. We know if you if you first of all. You have time with your kids, you're, you're there, you're attuned, you're present, you're marked when you're relating to them. You know, you look them in the eye, you give them the space they want and so on. They get securely attached. They're going to have better relationships. We know about that. We also know that if during the, the second year of life, if you play with the kid, you say no without, ra without raising your level of emotional intensity when they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, which is every nine minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and you do that, then they're going to have, then, then they're going to have less capacity for dissociation and they'll have more access to being able to work with their defenses. Okay. If a kid, when a kid's two or three or four, when you be, when you're dealing with them, you do emotional coaching rather than emotional dismissing, which is if there's something going on, you wait until they're ready to relate, you identify the feeling, you do problem solving, or you set a boundary, move on. Those kids do better later on. We also know that if you don't set the boundaries for kids, because we've got a lot of too many indulgent parents in this country, too many child-centric parents, if you don't set the boundaries, the kids will be more aggressive and less able to control their emotions later on. We know this. We know these are superior ways. The authoritative parent is superior to a, dis, uh, a, a, a authoritarian parent 
for better than a, a non-involved parent. Better, we know these things. There are models of superior education. Best one is Finland. Finland has the best scores in the world every year, and they don't like kill their kids studying like in China and, and Korea, and they don't or Japan or Japan or New Zealand. Oh yeah, yeah. They don't. They, what, what do they do? They have small, relatively small classes. They pay their teachers a lot. Every teacher has a mentor, um, and they're honored. And the kids are very are, are are taught to be curious about the world and to learn about the basic basic things to put the the world together. Those kids. So that that form of education is superior. Uh, sex education. The Netherlands put psychologists in charge of sex education in 1980. Okay, fast forward. We put fundamentalist Christians in charge Uh-oh. of education. Bad news. Yeah, bad news. Well, okay, so 30 years later, those kids are healthier, less abortion, less teen pregnancy, better sex, less VD. Our kids, all in the other direction. They all have pornography addictions. And then they have pornography addiction. We don't teach people how, speaking of addictions, we don't teach kids how to handle the addictive things in their lives. We don't teach kids how to handle sugar, addictive, porn, addictive. Video games, addictive. We don't we don't teach kids how to handle the addictive substances and psychological processes that exist in their lives. We also don't teach them about their history. You are going to have more problems. You know, my I have alcoholics in my family. So my my daughter said once, um, so how come you're the only guy in the family that drinks? I go, well, because I like to drink and I have rules and I follow my rules. And if you follow your rules, you're not an alcoholic. And here are my rules. You know, yeah. <laughs> he says, well, am I going to be an alcoholic? I said, I don't know. If you start drinking, you're either going to be like your mom, take it or leave it. You can be like me, you need rules. Or you're going to be an alcoholic and it'll kill you unless you stop. Okay. And you'll find out if you start drinking. That's for you. I gave you the data. I gave you the self-observational tools. Go out and have your life and do whatever you do. And you know, I'm, my daughter has to go and discover things for herself. Yep. You know, you know, she she dropped out of a PhD program in clinical psychology because she found they they were it was a pluralistic program where everybody was all politically correct and everything. It drove her crazy. And I don't blame her. You know, I mean, this whole thing about 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 trigger warnings and stuff drives me fucking crazy. But I'm not I'm not going to distract. So she quit. So what she did? She went and became a stripper for five years. (laughs) That's fantastic. So she went out, you know, she was a stripper, you know. And so she said, I'm going to be a stripper. I said, okay, that's fine. But if you do lap dancers, you stop being a stripper, you start being a hooker. She said, wait a minute. I go, anytime you get a guy off by touching him. And she says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work at a club where you don't touch the girls. I said, fine, be a stripper. So she went out and a stripper. And finally, she got sick of it, of course. You know, and so she's now working full time for a law, law firm and making half of what she made as a stripper working part time. <laughs> but Okay. She needed to find out for herself, and my I, as a parent, needed to shift and go. Okay, I mean, I'm never going to watch you work, but I'm very interested in the culture of. I found a, a, an awful lot about the culture of strippers because that was her culture. All right, parenting changes depending upon whatever your kid needs. It's your job to figure out what it is and provide it, and no excuses. You know, I'm sorry if I had some bias against strippers. Too fucking bad. My daughter's a stripper. I need to be able to parent her. So get over it.
Hi, you guys. I know you all know that super green powders are good for you if they're made from organic sources and they're processed properly. So the nutrients are there. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley does with their super greens powder. So I brought Autumn Smith in to tell us exactly how she created it and why and what it's going to do for you when you try their amazing organic super greens powder. Autumn, what is the magic you've got here? Well, like you said, we all need to get more of those micronutrients that you find in fresh fruits and vegetables. And so we've created a powder that you do not have to choke down. It has an absolutely delicious berry lemonade flavor. And the reason that it's different is because A, it is all organic, 23 organic superfood ingredients. And B, it is a very, very gut-friendly product because what I've found in my practice is that a lot of people don't do well with cereal grasses. And we know cereal grasses, like wheatgrass, can contain lectins that can be hard on the guts of a lot of people I work with. And so what we did was we created a a cereal grass-free alternative. We use high quality, the cleanest, highest quality spirulina on the market raised in India. And then we added the 22 other organic fresh fruits and vegetables and the flavor will surprise you. So all you have to do to check it out is go ahead to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15, at checkout. My son drinks it every day. We call it his ninja juice, and I sincerely hope your family loves it as much as ours does. All right, everybody. Go paleo green and get rocking. Hope you love it. You know, I, there's this parodying person. I wrote a book called The Gift of Shame because you're going to have to shame kids for them. Shame is a social emotion. Everybody has to have some of it. Okay. Uh-huh. So this parenting expert couldn't stand it that I said that. <laughs> I said, you're going to have to shame kids appropriately. No, no, no. You know, you don't, you can just distract them and stuff. I said, no, you got to, they need to feel shame. They need to blush and feel bad that they did something that, they, you know, that they hit their brother. They need to feel bad about that. No, they, you know, that's just awful. And this, and she hated authoritative. I said, not authoritarian. It's authoritative. She says, I don't like that word. I go, all right, let's use another word. You know, so how about a parent who knows how to play with a kid, but not let it go too far? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's authoritative. I mean, it was, it was like, the, I, had to, I had to stop relating with her and start handling her because her biases were coming up and she wasn't having cognitive dissonance around them. It's funny that you mentioned that about your daughter because it reminded me years ago, many years ago now, I had a girl in my class who was a pole dancer slash stripper. And yeah, that's my daughter. She, she, she was a genius on the pole. Yeah. Well, that, see, I, I didn't quite know the girl in front of me was a genius, but you know, she had a big set of boobs that were a boob job and she was very, you know, sexy body oriented. And I, I pulled her aside and I just, you know, when my soul gives me, when great spirit talks to me and says, you need to talk to somebody, then I will personally talk to them. And I, I said to her, I, I said, you know, you need to be conscious of the fact that you're orienting your self-value around how other people respond to your boobs and your ass and your good looks. And I said, you're entering training to be a holistic lifestyle coach and that can draw a lot of the wrong people to you and end up causing you a lot of trouble and so i just 
shared with her out of my heart because I could see the future unfolding for her. And long story made short, she, over time, got her boobs out, made it all the way to becoming a check level four, mastered Whoa. it all. She went all the way. She became a highly trained shaman. She's an excellent organic farmer. And she's one of my top instructors. <laughs> she travels the world teaching for me. <laughs> Man. So and she's, I she's an unbelievable woman. She's an unbelievable woman. And, and well, her, you know, her, what you were doing was teaching her about energy. Yeah. Okay? All right. So her thing was put out a rod of energy and get it back. Okay. Well, you said, look, be aware of your energy and put out the energy that is serves the moment, not compulsively. And apparently she had enough practice channeling energies that she did now. You know, so she took that force and put it together and, and, and you know, and transcended. That's just a beautiful story. That's yeah, you know, I, I, what I wanted to convey to her is that as a woman, if you present yourself that way, you're going to draw men to you and clients to you that are going to have similar imbalances or value structures. And you're going to find yourself in conflict with people that you're trying to coach to help get healthy because their orientation isn't on the advice you're giving them. They're staring at your tits and your ass all the time and they want to have sex with you. And it's better to bring yourself into your center and coach from your center and celebrate your body because it's something that you love and you take care of. And it's a blessing, but not the key to the door that you want to get through because it doesn't make a good key it makes a better home. <laughs> I said, I want you to use your body as your home, not a key to a lot of doors that end up only opening doors where people are stuck in the same trap because you'll have conflict against conflict. And, and, and what I didn't realize at the time is she really heard me at a soul level. But then, you know, as I watched her going and realized, damn, this girl, I, I thought she, you know, I, I risked thinking she was a bit shallow and kind of bubblegummy, but turned out she was a goddamn genius. She just needed a little guidance. Yeah. And so good to hear. Yeah. I've had, you know, so you just reminded me of that story. And the reason I shared it is because a lot of people, if their daughter became a stripper, would think, oh my God. And they think the world had come to an end, but it, it might just be a transitional state where she's finding her genius. <laughs> well, I think so. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I admit I had a bias about her being, I wouldn't want her to be a hooker. I, there's too many hookers that I've worked with over the years, not a whole bunch, but some, really, really hard in this culture to be a prostitute. Oh, um, it's it's hard and it's dangerous. And, and sure. it's dangerous. Now, sex surrogate, the, you know, sex surrogate actually um, um, is, that profession has evolved. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. The, the point of it being, of course, that that the and this is an integral idea. An integral idea is is you always want to be aware of the dialectic. You want to be aware of the healthy and unhealthy manifestation of everything. Anything that you, that a human being can do. Now, some things are more generally negative, more generally bad. Violence is a good example. Violence is generally a bad idea. 
Every once in a while, it's necessary. Generally, a bad idea. Compassion. Compassion, understanding, and reaching out. Generally, a good idea. Every once in a while, a bad idea. Okay? But you want to you wanna see both sides. Why? Because when you're caught up in that, this is my friend, Bina Sharma, who teaches polarity thinking. Um, she does this. And you can do it basically with every quadrant if you want to just expand it. But it, as you do that, what it does is it, is it, is it locks you into what Plato called the dialectic um, from Socrates, which is you're always aware of the world as, as, as forces interacting with each other. And if you have an idea, then there's the positive and the more healthy, less healthy aspects of that. If you keep yourself in that dynamic, it keeps you fluid. It keeps you able to shift to the new insight, to the new level of understanding, eventually to the new identity of, of self. Um, if any if time you get locked down, something either I won't change or I won't do, um, you're losing that fluidity. And when you, you, when you lose that, you're losing, you're dramatically curtailing your capacity to grow. And I like Dan Siegel's model of the mind where he he uses the analogy that the mind is like a river. And he said one bank is chaos and the other bank is rigidity. So it's better to stay in the middle, you know. And I, I keep that in my mind all the time. I You know, those two banks, they're there. And if you hit one of them, it can hurt. So it's better to just kind of find the balance, you know. You know, I first heard about complexity theory from him. Actually, so is it? Actually, I first heard about it from Prigogine. I read an article by him, but I didn't see it applied to people until I heard Dan Siegel describe it. And it really works in terms of understanding a lot of stuff. You know, what you want to be, you you, you don't want to be rigid, um, but it's it's fine to to have clarity. Yeah. And you don't want to be in chaos, but it's fine to be a little confused. Talking about those two bands. And so... You're you're always adjusting chaos to confusion and rigidity to to just clarity. And what that does is it maintains it maintains that openness where those fractal, you know, in complexity theory, what what you understand is that is that is that it's like hypermutation in, in bacteria that at that interface in in a complex system, you know, of linked differentiated parts that are arranged hierarchically and are energized and don't dissipate. That there's these forms that form, and it, every once in a while, there's a new form that's more complex, which means it's more energy efficient and more stable, and the system transforms. That really explains consciousness. And one thing I think that, that most parents recognize, around three or four years old, they'll notice that their kid has an inner wisdom, that, that the brain is mature enough that it is, con- it is, it is complex enough that incredible wisdom will just come out of a kid's face and mouth. And that's their wise self. It's It's been constellated at that point, and it either gets strengthened or it gets weakened by culture after that and by life experience and so on. And what we want to do is continue to strengthen that wise self, that, 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 that compassionate witness. And, you know, there's things that you can do to help that, and there's things that you can do to get in the way of that. Uh, yeah. I think one of the things that help it is acknowledging to the child when it comes out. Exactly. Just letting say, you know, what you just shared was very wise, wise enough that it got my attention. Yeah. 
you know, I'll give you an example of something that it was along those lines, slightly different, but it was really funny. My daughter Zoe, which I know your daughter Zoe's too. Oh, yeah, two Zoe's. Yeah, and uh, she's just about to turn three next month. So th- oh. this was, yeah, this is about six months ago, which is why it was so shocking. You know, Angie's their birth mother, and Penny's their you know family mother because I have two wives, as you know. Huh? And and but Penny's British, so as you know, she's got quite an accent, British accent, and. um Penny had just come home when we were sitting at the dinner table and she was talking to us and Angie says something like, or Penny said, oh, I just, I've got to take the groceries out of the car and put it in the garage. But Penny says garage, you know, because she's got the English accent. And and my little girl looks at her. She turns her head. She goes, garage, 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 garage. And, and me and Penny and Angie looked and like, she knows the difference and she is purposely making a joke. Yeah. At two years old, and she's teasing Penny oh. and knows she's doing it. And Penny looks at her and she says, are you taking the piss out of me? And Zoe nods her head and says, yes. And she goes, garage, 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 garage. And I'm like, oh. I said, I don't even know if a kid's brain's supposed to do that at two years old. She actually is dealing with the concept of realizing that she's making a joke. And that there's a difference between a garage and a garage and how it's said. And she knows that one of her mothers says garage and the other one says garage. And she's teasing Penny. We were all just cracking up. And so the point is, you see, there's a level of wisdom that you would never expect from a two-year-old. But she clearly was dialed in to what was going on. There it is. And it'll keep happening. And, there, and you're right. When you admire that, listen to it, that reinforces it. And so, you know, hopefully. Now, I'd like, I'd like every kid to have that kind of mirroring from the grown-ups around them. And I'd like every culture that, to have that kind of understanding. And the cultures that do that with kids, those kids get more empathic. Those kids get wiser. You know, they don't work on helping a kid have, you know, self-esteem. That's crazy. What you do is you help a kid have more empathy. You help a kid have more understanding of themselves and other people. That works great. Um, and, and again, there are systems that have been developed that teach kids about this. One of the most interesting ones is you get elementary school kids like kindergartens or first graders and you bring a baby in, newborn, the first part of the year and you bring the baby in once a month for the next eight months and they watch that baby develop. Mm. It, it, it catches their imagination to see the rapid changes. Um, that, that's one technique that, I've, that I really like a lot. Um, that people have used. Um, and there's others. Uh, there's others. There's forms of conflict resolution. You can teach kids that, that then you see them using it out on the playground, which is where the rubber hits the road with kids, right? When they're in kid culture. And now when we discover something like that, that works great, it would be, it would be nice if everybody in the world found out about it and a bunch of people started doing it. And so that's part of what, the, when we're talking about the evolution of consciousness, is part of what we advocate for. If there's something that has been demonstrated through all four quadrants to be a good thing, let's do more of it. And if it's demonstrated not to, let's do less of it. Since you, you know, because a lot of people may not understand integral theory at all, uh, and and you've used the four quadrant concept. Uh, let's just for the listeners 
he's talking about four quadrants. If you take a box, divide it into four, upper right is called the personal exterior, physical, your anything weighable or measurable. You can see yourself, you can weigh yourself, you can measure your hormones, you can you can film your behaviors. Upper left, your interior world, your thoughts, your feelings, emotions. Sometimes we call it the domain of the soul. The lower left corner is the inner world of a group of people, your family, your friends, society. And the lower right is what I just call the world stage, physical systems, buildings, trains, planes, automobiles, nature, anything, your house. So the physical. So I, I, the way I, by the way, the way I put this in my book and the way I teach it to my students is your upper left quadrant is the home of your story. The upper right quadrant is you as the actor. The lower left quadrant is the cast and crew, and the lower right quadrant is the world stage where we all play out the drama. <laughs> hey, that works out. <laughs> Since it's all a myth. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and each one of us is in our own personal hero's journey within the context of the larger myth. Yeah. You know that. You know that was Carl Jung's seminal understanding. One thing that Jung missed because. He couldn't see it in his culture. Um, now, Jung was not a real popular guy. I mean, Freud, <laughs> Freud wouldn't talk to him after a while. And he, just like he wouldn't talk to Adler, he got some of his best ideas from, from, from Adler. Freud, Freud took a lot of ideas. Anyway, he, he couldn't see that, there, there, that the world really does. Kids go through different developmental stages, different worldviews. And in the world, we have these different worldviews that people are more likely to be in in certain circumstances. And those worldviews have characteristics. They basically go from egocentric to conformist to rational to pluralistic and integral. And that until you get to integral, those first, those first worldviews all fight with each other. And so to a certain extent, if you open the editorial page of any newspaper, you'll see worldviews arguing with each other. And the, they think they're talking about issues. They're really not. They're basically just attacking each other's worldviews and promoting each other's worldviews. Um, and that's that the conformist worldviews, for instance, do not see, they don't have that inner cognitive dissonance that I'm ignoring science in the interest of listening to, I don't know, my pastor. A rational, an unhealthy version of a rational worldview is. Well, I'm winning, so I'm fine, okay? Because winning is its own reward. But now healthy, rational, very different, okay? Healthy, rational says, yeah, it's good to win, but it's also you can learn from losing. And by the way, healthy there's, there's healthy conformative too. We don't, we don't have enough healthy conformity in this country in that we don't have a set of shared values that everybody goes, yeah. For instance, honesty. Mm. And we all agree that you should tell the truth. And if you don't, you shouldn't be trusted as much as people who do. You know, how about integrity? Uh, how about protecting children? Yes. You know, there's this country does not have like those eight or nine, like, like the Ten Commandments of shared values that we all assign. And if anybody, whether it's our guy or the other guy's person, violates them, we go, wait a minute, we have moral condemnation of that. And if they don't feel ashamed and don't make an adjustment, I don't trust that person as much, even if it's the person on my side. We need that kind of conformity more in this country, okay? 
So there's a healthy version. We need healthy egocentricism. I mean, one thing about, I think one of the things that attracted you to, to Integral is Integral is body, mind, spirit, in self, culture, nature. Yeah, oh, yeah. Body, mind, spirit, in self, culture, nature, okay? Um, and so basically from an egocentric standpoint, I want to be dialed in with body, mind, spirit, in self, culture, nature. For, no, for the egocentric, Keith, for no other reason that I'm going to be more healthy, I'm going to be more attractive, I'm going to be having a better time, fine. And, you know, every once in a while, it's all about me. You know, you have an ice cream cone. It's really not about world peace when I'm having an ice cream cone. It's about me enjoying my ice cream. So there's healthy egocentric, there's healthy conformity, there's healthy rationality, there's healthy pluralism. But there's also unhealthy versions of all of them. Yeah. What was uh, two things? What attracted me to to Integral was studying Ken Wilber's books made me realize that he made room for everything and he looked at everything. And I felt like being in the presence of Ken Wilber through his teachings was like being an eagle. I got to see everything. And so I could learn about dogmatic Christianity, but I could also learn about mysticism and I could learn about the perils of science and the limitations of Adler or Jung or anybody, but I could also learn about where they did really well. And that fits the way my mind works. I'm naturally built that way because, you know, my, my, my whole life has always been about how does everything fit together? Because if I don't know how the parts fit, how am I ever going to figure out what's wrong? Mm -hmm. You know? So for me, Ken Wilber and integral theory as a meta theory put everything on the table. You know, are you familiar with the Mondorla exercise? No, what's that? Uh, I think you'd probably know it. It's, it's, it's like a mandala, but it's a Christian. It's an ancient Christian practice. You draw a big circle. And then you draw another big circle that overlaps it by one third. So in the middle, you have a vesica Pisces, an almond shape where the two circles overlap. And on the left side, you, as a healing, it's almost like shadow work. You put all the things in there and you can do it on a table. So you take everything that's, that you feel is represents the negative of your life, like guns, yes. poisons, drugs. And everything on the right, you put as the positive. So you might also have to put a gun over there because you hunt with it. And you might have to put your ice cream over there because it gives you joy. And so then what you do is you sit back. So like if I'm working with an addict, for example, I'll, I'll have them all say, now look at your heroin or look at your cocaine. And now look what's on the other side. Now, what happens if you abuse or overuse your money or your sex or everything you've put on the right side? It causes another problem. So what I do is I use it to show the polarities that are really inherent in a person's life. And I say, no, I want you to stand in the middle of that. And now what we're going to do is we're going to jump out of Christianity into Taoism. And the motto is not too much, not too little. So if you can look at how, what's got you in trouble, and you can look at what's given you joy. You can notice that most of the things that got you in trouble started over in the positive thing, but ended up over in the negative thing because 
you didn't have Keith Witt's rules about drinking to guide you. <laughs> That's a great exercise. That's a yes. great exercise. Yeah. I really, I like it. I so like that, it that's, that's to me is like Ken Wilber's meta theory. That's what integral is like. It's like a giant mandorla exercise that anything can go in there. And then the, before we get off of it, you, you were mentioning where Jung's had a deficit in his view because of the time or the culture. Is the little... progressive worldviews. I see. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I have a beautiful picture of him on the wall and, and, and I, I actually pray to him and give thanks to him every day because I've learned so damn much from Carl. What a guy. He's my favorite of all those guys. Jung's my favorite. I like, I like Adler too, and I like Fetchner, but boy, I really like, I really like Jung. P3OM by Bioptimizers is hands down one of the most important supplements to have on you everywhere you go. If you're traveling, if you go to work, if you're going to friend's house to eat, this product will knock out food poisoning and almost any kind of gut disorder from viruses, bacteria, fungi, whatever could irritate your gut so quickly. It's mind blowing. I have been using this product since Wade Lightheart first turned me on to it, and he's the formulator of it. And I've got Wade here to tell us how it works, but I just want you to hear it from me. I have all my clients use this. I try to get it to friends, to family members, because it is really like your own bodyguard. So Wade, how in the world does this thing work so well every time? Well, as you know, we're very research oriented and we have literally a university in Croatia that we do microbiome testing with our labs of PhDs to find out what's the most effective formulation. And we are quickly moving into the post-antibiotic world where we need to cultivate super probiotics. We all heard of super bad bacteria in hospitals and stuff that are antibiotic resistance. But what we did, we worked with a medical doctor that was able to take an aggressive strain of L. plantarum, which is a very aggressive strain, and then put it through almost like a BUDS camp, a Navy SEALs training where we subjected this particular probiotic to a toxic environment. We ran a sine wave through it. And out of that survived only about somewhere between two and 3%. We then take that and grow it on very special food. We feed them just like you would feed a great athlete. You feed them special food and the probiotics develop unique capabilities. We have a US patent that is so powerful. I can't read it on the airwaves because we'd get canceled. But what I can say is when you put P3OM in your body, it goes out and breaks down any undigested protein, whether it's in your gut or through your blood system. And it becomes your Navy SEALs defense force, if you will, to go out and wipe out whatever pathogen might come in your body. You just need more of these guys to overwhelm it. It takes it out. It cleans up any messes. And for the last 18 years, I've been using P3OM daily. And I can honestly say, I've never been sick during that time. If I feel something coming on, I just double down my dosage, take four caps every night. If I get a little, if I'm traveling, I take twice that. And it's been great. A lot of our people do it. And it's one of our best-selling products. And it's available to your audience. Just go to p3om.com slash living40. Put in Paul 10, get a 10% discount. And if it's not the best probiotic you've ever had in your life, you get 100% of your money back. 
That's from us at Bioptimizers. That's our guarantee for you. Go get it. It's for real. I love the stuff. Thank you, Wade. I have to tell you a quick story. Sure. I work with spirit guides. I don't know if you do any of that at all, but... I do. I have... Uh, I, I have... Yes. Well, two... <laughs> He's always with me. Krishna, Krishna is my, my spirit guide. That's a great one. Well, Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner are two of my spirit guides. There you go. And I had been studying alchemy for years. And like most things, there's a lot of contradiction in it. And there's confusing ideas. And, and I... I was very drawn to it because as a spiritual practice, I think it's incredible. I think the whole concept of the soul and getting caught in matter and then having to work its way up and out of it uh, is a beautiful concept in many ways. And so I, I've studied so much alchemy. I, I probably have a hundred books on it. I studied a lot of Jung's work on it, but I could not get the systems to work. And, you know, you have, people putting different things in the air element. There's a lot of contradiction, just like with tarot and most things, right? So I was doing this spirit guide meditation that was actually by Alex Gray. It was on an audio CD and I, and I was in my sauna where I meditate and I was listening to it and I was going through it. And it was a, it was a, a meditation to meet your spirit guides. And this is like, 10, 15, 15 years ago. And he said, well, I'll save all the, the buildup, but anyhow, he said, your spirit guides will come for you and each of them will bring you a gift. And maybe it was 10 years ago. And the first person that showed up was Carl Jung. Aww. And I was blown away. I'm like, oh my God, Carl Jung. I said, oh, I just like give him a big hug. And, and he says, I have a gift for you. And he hands me a scroll. Actually, uh, uh, Rudolf Steiner was first. And, he, and Rudolf Steiner hands me a scroll. Uh -huh. And he says, open the scroll. And I looked at it, and it had the four elements of alchemy organized in a specific way and how they connected together. And he says, that will help you. Write it down and keep it close. And the next guide that came was Carl Jung. And he says, I have a gift for you. And he handed me a scroll. He says, open it up. He said, that's the psychological aspects of the alchemy you've been trying to figure out. And Master Steiner just gave you the physical elements. He said, put my map inside of Steiner's map. And I'm going to send you, Keith, what came out of it. And oh, it yeah, is, please, please. It's the most incredible system. I've used it to help countless thousands of people. I've run entire courses on it. I was a keynote speaker at the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine and I taught them. I did a two-day workshop and they oh, the acupuncturists were like completely blown away. And they said, Paul, why don't people teach us this? Because you're showing us how to get to the cause of the problem instead of treating the symptoms. And so after two days, their minds were blown. So Jung gave me the inner alchemy and Steiner gave me the alchemy of nature. And he said, these two are interacting with each other all the time. And this is what you've been trying to figure out. And it, and it was just like a, like, so I had, I, I had tears. It was so mind blowing because they answered all my questions. And so <laughs> whenever people tell me they think spirit guides are a bunch of bullshit, I say, let me show you this map. Yeah, let me, let me show you my map. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think that's bullshit, then, then 
you're on the bank of rigidity. <laughs> you know, there's just if, if the only mistakes in my life have been made that I've been listening, I listened to my guides, I listened to my my wise self, and did what I did. If those if those are the only mistakes I make, I'll take them. Yeah, amen. Yes, and and if 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 I'm listening to my soul or a guide like that that make a mistake, it's not their fault. It's usually because I could not hear well enough because there was something in me that was afraid to do what they were telling me to do. Yeah, 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 exactly. Keith, we've had just a phenomenal discussion. I could talk to you uh, for probably 40 days and 40 nights and and not need sleep or water or food, but uh, just to keep it manageable for podcast listeners, I'd like to close with a little exploration of the new book you're writing. Would you like to share about that? Yeah, I'm writing a book called um, Trauma into Transcendence, Living a Happy Ending at the Beginning of Something Wonderful. <laughs> I like it. It's a great title. Because uh, it, it, it'll be my ninth book um, that I published. Uh, there's a couple others that are on my website uh, that haven't been published. Um, the reason why I did this is because there's a lot of wonderful approaches to growth and to dealing with trauma these days, but there's not an organizing understanding. And I, and I wanted people to have an organizing understanding of a, of a couple of central things. One is that when you're working with trauma with people, it goes through four stages where general, where the first one is people need to be able to face the trauma and stay in the present moment um, without being too distressed with the dual focus. And the second stage is they need to be able to adjust their life story to be more life affirming story and less and less uh, destructive story. And the third st stage is that they need to be able to, if they have uh, bad habits of consciousness, to to choose, be able to choose better states. Um, when sometimes you just have to choose a better state rather than have to do historical work. Um, good example is what you were talking about earlier about listening to your guides. Sometimes just ask your guide for some, some help and they provide it and that's all you need to do. And the fourth stage is being the compassionate, cultivating the compassionate witness so that you're aware when you need to give yourself some kind of, of attention, you give yourself that attention. And this is all in a backdrop of the fact that we're all really different people with different strengths and weaknesses. And radical acceptance of who we are is, the first, is one of the important steps towards growing who we are. And a lot of people are trying to deny who they are or resist who they are rather than accept who they are and then grow who they are. And so this whole book is designed for that. And I use a lot of personal examples and I use examples from my clients. So I've changed everybody around so they can't identify themselves and stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll come out sometimes, sometime next year. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's an important contribution. Uh, everybody gets attached to their approach. And the danger that we have around that is that we try to kind of try to fit people into an approach rather than change the approach to fit the person. Amen on that one. That's why I study so many different theories. So I use them like tools in a toolbox instead of getting into a belief system. That's exactly right. And people with personality disorders only have one tool. So what do you do? Well, you need to have them not use that tool inappropriately until you want to give them more tools. And so in a way, that's back to the original thing we were talking about. You're either creating drama or solving problems. Um, we want to notice when we're creating drama and instead solve problems. Um, that's easy to say, hard to do. 
And, you, you know, you, you, there's a lot of things you got to work with. And part of that is the learning that you've had, the sensitization, the trauma learning. And part of it is who you are. Who am I and how do I deal with the world? And so that's exciting to me now. Um, you know, you're working on a book. It's all at a certain point when you're working on a book, it captures you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like doing a piece of art where you think you know what you're painting. But by the time you're done, you're going, oh, my God. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but it's so cool. <laughs> how did that happen? And, and then in, 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 there's a certain point where the, where the piece is demanding the, the color. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm at the stage of my book now where, the, where I've, done this, I've seen this happen with all the books I've written, where now the book is asking me to do stuff. You know, but I don't want you to put me out until I have this in it like that. And it, now, partly that fits into my, my basic mission. My mission generally is I do a lot of teaching, but mostly I help people one or two people at a time. That's been my work. And so I, I, to, to, to put that out into the world, I'll have to write a book. And, and also to teach other therapists how to do some of the things that I do. I want to put that in a book because there's some things that, that, that there's a lot of great therapists in this world and, and they all have their own approaches. And, and, and there's, I've, I've learned wonderful things from all the therapies that I've studied and I've generated. And I want people to learn some wonderful things from my therapy and stuff that I've generated. Yeah. I think that's my experience is that we reach a point in our own evolution where we realize that we've got to pay that wisdom forward because it, we, you know, we, we, we got to drop the seed, right? You know, you know, like the, when the tree of knowledge gets so heavy, the branches start to break. It's painful. That's the kind of the, the path of the hermit. He's got to come down the mountain at a certain point or the, or the wisdom he has is going to kill him because he knows people need it. You know, it's funny you say that. Ken Wilber told me once, he said, to the extent that we understand the secrets of the universe and don't share them, we suffer. Absolutely. I totally agree. I, I've been there over and over again, you know, because I'm sort of the hermit kind of Me guy. I, I've been a therapy monk the last two years. You got to say, I enjoy it. I do too. You know, it, I, I enjoy it, but my family gets a little concerned sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, if I didn't have my wife around, I wouldn't enjoy it. So I got to say, I mean, you have your family. Family, it's fine. Enough. At least if you're wired that way, it's a, it's a fine way to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great uh, book. I love those four concepts and what I love about them. And I wrote them down because they, they're so beautiful. Those four things you just mentioned, I think are a really excellent summary of what people can do right now in their life. Maybe right. we should just revisit those as a sort of a way to close with some positive to do items for people that have listened to this. Cause we've covered a lot of ground and, and we both have acknowledged that the world's in a state of, shall we say, uh, to put it politely, transition right now. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people are traumatized. And a lot of people are getting re-traumatized, which, as you know, is makes things more challenging to find the light as you get further and further enveloped in trauma. Um, how, would you like to restate these maybe with the intention of how people could use these four steps today? Well, let's, let's just do a couple of practices. Okay, Why not? Good. Yeah. Okay. I'll do one that, that is central, central to my book, um, Integral uh, uh, um, 
uh, mindfulness. And then another one that I got from Lisa Miller, the one, the woman who did the studies of the awakened brain. Okay. Um, so anybody who's listening to this, just for a moment, you know, take a slow, soft breath in for six seconds into your nostril, and then a slow, soft breath out. Do a couple of those. And send your attention inward now to what sensation and emotion you're feeling at this moment. Be aware of that sensation and emotion with acceptance and caring intent. Just keep breathing slow and soft through your nose. And as you're aware of sensation and emotion, with acceptance and caring intent, be aware of what thoughts and judgments you have at this moment about yourself, about me, about Paul, about anybody. And be aware of your thoughts and your judgments with acceptance and caring intent. Right? So as you breathe softly in and out, you're aware of your sensation, your emotions, your thoughts, and your judgments with acceptance and caring intent. And now think of somebody that you love someplace. And just send your attention to their body and their consciousness. And ask yourself, I wonder what this person is sensing and feeling and thinking and judging at this moment with acceptance and caring intent. Whatever they're feeling, sensing, thinking, judging, be aware of that with acceptance and caring intent. Now you're tuning to another person. And wherever they are, there's probably a part of them going, huh, what's happening? This is an attunement exercise you can do all the time. And whenever you're in stress with someone, you can do it with yourself and with them. And it will guide you. So that's the first one. It's a good one. I, I uh, had a lot of positive, beautiful emotions come flowing through me. Yeah, I could tell. I could feel them coming from you as I was tuning with you. Yeah, yeah I was just grateful that I got to spend a few hours with you and being present with someone that I respect and... and uh, is grounded and centered enough to really share with me for the benefit of countless thousands of people that'll listen to this, because that's really when I feel like I'm living my purpose, you know? And so thank you. Well, that's a beautiful mission, Paul. I appreciate it. Really appreciate your contribution. Well, I appreciate yours. And I, I think, um, I agree with you. You know, I, I feel the most alive when I'm devoting myself to helping other people live better. And that's when I feel I'm on purpose, you know? Uh-huh. And here's the second one. Second one is, inside you, there is a wise self. So just feel yourself seeing through the eyes of your wise self. You're seeing yourself. You're seeing Keith and Paul. 
You're feeling the, the earth around you, but you're aware. There's a, an awareness, a wise self-awareness. And that wise self has, has a feeling towards you, and it's love. So just be that wise self looking at you, and now be you feeling your wise self, looking at your wise self. Feel the gratitude, the love that you have. Now be the wise self seeing you recognize the wise self, being conscious of it. And be you. Feel how your wise self is delighted with your recognition of this inner wisdom that's always there, never leaves you. You call on your wise self, no matter where you are, your wise self will answer. And that's the second practice. That was a cool one. I had quite a powerful vision. What was your vision, Paul? Well, when you said to see your wise self, the first thing that showed up was the Tai Chi symbol, and it started to spin. And then it spun so fast, it burst like a star. And then I saw what looked exactly like Babaji. Sitting in in meditation and surrounding this being was every one of me in my past lives, all communicating with me in the here and the now, inspiring me to do everything I'm doing. Uh Well, by the way, that's what happens when an integrated consciousness does this. Is that right? You know, it's not, it wasn't like a mob. You know what I mean? No. Because everybody was everybody was all kind of integrated. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, they're all saying, Yes, no, go. No. It's <laughs> like the choir is singing in tune, you know. Yeah. Once you get the choir tuned up, that everyone's well, somebody will miss, but you know, oh no, we will, you know, a little louder, a little softer, like that. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. It reminds me of you talking about Taoism. In Taoism, they have what's called the principle of return. The principle of return is to understand that the universe always acts rhythmically. Then one direction always moves to the other, you know, just like in Tai Chi, right? Yeah. And so when you're aware of that and you don't fight against it, all of a sudden you're in rhythm with everything. Yes. You know, the crust of the earth, what, it's about an alpha, you know, you're, you're an alpha mostly. But when you're, when you're in that rhythm, um, you notice when you go against it and then you have a rhythm to go back to. It's the principle of return. Anyway, it's one of the one of the beautiful things about the Tao. I love the Tao. You know, it's to me, it's free of all the dogma and the polarity. Um, yeah, you know, I love the concept of the pivot of the Tao, particularly because it's right between the polarities. It's essential to the polarities, like the axle is essential to the wheel. But like the axle, it goes everywhere without doing anything. So it's always my reminder to be the axle, and be the axle. <laughs> that way I, like I don't. It. That way I don't have to fly off like the cir- 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 uh, the the centrifugal force. I'll just yeah. blow you out. Yeah. yeah. So when you're in the center of the storm, you can watch the storm, but you'd say, "Isn't that amazing?" <laughs> and I think that's where we all. Uh, would do best in in this period of time to do is spend a few minutes of the day just to 
come. That's why I like the mandorla exercises. It shows you where, when you're in the center, you can see the polarities and you can see that the good carries the bad and the bad also carries the good. And it's really about, you know, I tell people, ask this question when you're in a state of challenge with yourself or others, what would love do now? And and if you really adhere to that, honestly, you'll always find the path. Well, you notice what you're saying. You're giving them a compass, Paul. Uh, that's the third, the, the third stage of working with trauma. If something's not working, where do I direct my attention? You know, that human superpower. Well, you can just give people a compass. Direct yourself to that center. Be the axle. And as you do that, what, what happens? Everything starts organizing and centering. So because of that compass. You know, the people get upset. They, they don't realize they've got, a, they've got many compasses they can use to guide them. And so that's a beautiful one. Uh, and wise self is a, is a compass. Um, yes. Attunement is a compass. These are all compasses that people can use to navigate, to navigate the world. And when we do it, we're not just making it better for us. We're making it better for everybody. And this is something that's a contribution to all the mess that's going on right now. It starts with us organizing ourselves in this fashion and serving in the way that most lights us up to serve. And that's what we all need to do. I think so, too. I tell people, look, right now, no matter what's going on, you can contribute. If you love to sing, sing some truth. If you love to write, write some. If you love to dance, dance some. If you love to paint, paint some. If you just do what you love to do, and we all do a little bit of that as a gift to everybody else every day, the world will transition quickly and efficiently. But if you sit around creating devils or waiting for the devil to come get you, then well, you're going to find out how powerful your mind is. There you go. Devil's going to show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where can people, uh, where do you want to direct people if they want more information about you, your offerings, or even uh, working with you as a patient if you're taking anybody? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can get a hold of me and you can find out my stuff on Dr. Keith Witt, D-R-K-E-I-T-H-W-I-T-T.com. DrKeithWitt.com. You can find my, my, eight of my books on Amazon. Um, there's a if you sign up for my website, which is for free, you'll get a free copy of my book, The Attuned Family, and you'll get a uh, a video come come uh, every week about some cool thing that I wanted to teach. So I got about twelve of. I thought, wow, what are the twelve top things I want to teach a few years ago? And made videos about them. And if you sign up for my website, you'll get one of those and plus some other, uh, videos and, um, and, uh, uh, uh blogs that I've done on various topics. And Great. so that's how to get a hold of me. Uh, and, and, uh, go to my stuff. Look at my, my video. Look at my, my, uh, I have a, a podcast I used to do called Therapist in the Wild. It was, I used to rant about stuff. That was a lot of fun. I haven't done that in a while. Um, check out the website and find something that helps you grow. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I've read several of your books. And like I said, I've listened to many of your interviews on Integral with Corey DeVoe and various others that you have on there. And the good news is, is it's easy to find you out there. If you just search Keith Witt, you'll find lots to inspire you and grow you. So think what Keith, what a phenomenal discussion, dialogue, sharing, 
I, uh, I can't tell you, I, I, I really love when I get to be with someone like you because I feel so full of life. I'm, you know, I'm going to go do some deadlifts right now. I think I might just like, <laughs> I'm going to rip yeah. it up. <laughs> I feel the same way, Paul. I feel filled up and energized. Thank you so much. This was a, this was a wonderful time. This was great. Thank you. I'll, um, I'm looking forward to sharing my alchemy system with you <laughs> so you can see what Jung and Steiner brought me. <laughs> Those guys. Yeah. All right. Well, lots of love, everybody. Thank you to my sponsors for all your love and support and your amazing products and your sustainable companies. Thanks to all of you for buying anything from the sponsors that supports the podcast. And I know it supports you too, because I don't promote anything that I don't use myself and that I don't know meets my standards for uh, sustainability and quality because uh, I have to sleep with myself at night. So I only bring you what I know that my own family uses. And thanks to all of you. And thank you all for uh, applying what we shared today. And right now, if we go out and uh, hug people and inspire them and have empathy for them when they're on the bank of chaos or rigidity or can accept that we've all got a little trauma to work through, I think we'll all do good together and sing it, dance it, share it, and we'll all be okay. So, uh, Keith, I'll have you back as soon as we can. Yeah. Always a pleasure. I could do a million podcasts with you and never run out of ideas. So uh, keep sharing your love and uh, really look forward to uh, your new book. And uh, I'm always following you. So uh, I'm learning all the time from you. Thank you. Much love to everyone. Yes. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dr. Keith Witt. Visit Keith's website at drkeithwitt.com. That's D-R-K-E-I-T-H-W-I-T-T.com, where you can sign up for his complimentary Art and Science of Relationship series. This includes a copy of his book, The Attuned Family, plus 12 weekly videos on relational, spiritual, and personal tips for a great life. Follow Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. 